We're going to study now um, a, a discourse in Parshas Achrimos, the mitzvah of Yom Kippur, and the Torah discussing the day of Yom Kippur and the whole avod of Yom Kippur and uh, what happens on that day is discussed in Vayikra and in Parshas Achrimos when it speaks about the, the two sons the, the two sons of Aaron and the Torah tells us that in order that that shouldn't occur again there is a certain procedure in which one can go into the Holy of Holies which is only on Yom Kippur so in Parshas Acharimos which is read usually after Pesach or Pesach time um, is when we really read about Yom Kippur so the discourses that were printed in Lakuti Torah and Parshas Achare are Yom Kippur Maimarim. They were actually set on Yom Kippur. Now the original discourse we learned a few years ago. The Maimur begins with Kibiyom Yachaper Aleichem Um I forgot to check if it's if it's online already. I mean online. We learned it a few years ago, but we might have learned it even before we started this website. So the question is if it was ever posted. I don't know. Um, we are about to learn the explanation of the discourse. Meaning the discourse that was said to explain the initial discourse. Now these discourses taught by Rav Shneur Zalman of Liadi were um, very, very profound and deep Kabbalistic Hasidic insights. Um, the original discourse is a fascinating discourse. The explanation of it is usually as mentioned again and again. This year, all we're doing is the explanations, almost, because all the original discourses we learned already, and I'm trying to get all of the book recorded. Um, problem is that the explanations are far more Kabbalistic than the discourses themselves. They explain things deeply according to Kabbalah, which one has to have a little bit of a knowledge of Kabbalah to, un, to get a, grap, a, a grasp on them. And um, I'm not going to pretend that I know what I'm talking about tonight. But being that it's before Yom Kippur, it doesn't hurt to go a little bit uh, beyond our minds. Uh, maybe, maybe as we learn, something will become understandable. Okay, what I will do, however, is in order to understand at least what we're trying to understand, is I'm going to review the essence of the initial discourse that we learned a couple of years ago, which I reviewed quickly today. And by understanding that, hopefully we'll make an attempt on the explanation of the discourse to understand this as well. Okay, so this is in Parshas Achare on page 54. Beer, I, you have copies in front of you. Beer Advarim Be'inyan Letahir Titaru. Yom Kippur is the day of tshuva. It's the peak of tshuva. It's the day of when we come the closest to God, we come all year long. And we reach the deepest connection. And we reach also atonement for all of our sins. Which means that all the barriers and all the separation and all the partitions 
and everything that stands between us and God is removed and we have now a clear, open, direct communication and connection with God without any interferences, without any, anything in between us. Um, now, it's interesting that Yom Kippur also, in addition to that, is the day the Torah was given. Meaning, as the culmination of tshuva, the Jews had um, done tshuva, and Yom Kippur they're forgiven, Yom Kippur, God also gave us the second tablets. So the way this would be, now, so, like, what's the connection? Here it is a day of tshuva, a day of repentance, a day of connection to God, and at the same very day, it is also a day of tshuva. A day of, a, so I'm saying, it's a day of repentance, a day of coming to close to God, and at the same very day, it's also the day in which we receive the second luchos. So it's the day, as the sages referred to it, as the day of Matan Torah. The first attempt to give the Torah wasn't successful because the Torah was broken. The luchas were broken. So it's the second attempt. And the sages actually referred to the day of Yom Kippur as the day of the wedding. Because our, our wedding was consummated. Our, our wedding was completed in our, in our marriage with God. Because we got the luchas. We got the second tablets. But the question over here is, you know, Torah is one thing. And tshuva is something else. What is, why do these two things happen on the same day? The day of the giving of the Torah. So we understand, we have a separate Yom Tov. Shavuos is a day of the giving of the Torah. And we celebrate it differently. The whole energy of Shavuos is different. We're in an elevated state. But the idea is, we're receiving a gift from God. We're receiving the Torah. Yom Kippur, we're being elevated with the highest elevation. Our souls are yearning for complete oneness with Hashem. To connect, to become to clean ourselves off. It's a whole different energy. How do you suddenly have on Yom Kippur the day of the giving of the Torah? It's like, so the Pashtis, meaning on the simple level, it's like this. It, it's coincidental. Meaning, of course there's nothing coincidental, but it, there they were doing tshuva on a sin that they did that, that stopped them from the receiving the Torah. So the, the giving of the Torah was halted, was put on pause, because God couldn't complete the giving of the Torah. Once they did tshuva, and they reached their complete forgiveness and atonement on Yom Kippur, so now the Torah that was sitting and waiting to download the whole time, but was kind of being blocked, now that the blockages weren't there, the Torah downloaded into them. So it's like sometimes you hit something to print, but there is some kind of a disconnect between your computer and your printer, some, the, the, the network is down or whatever it is. And the next day the guy comes and uh, whatever, you get the tech guy comes and he fixes the, the thing and removes whatever obstacle that's there. And suddenly it starts printing all the things that you sent to print. You hit, you hit print like 30 times to get the print and all those prints are coming in now because there's no blockages and now they're all coming out. So something like that you can say is the same thing happens on Yom Kippur. It's like we, we, we got rid of the mess. So suddenly the Torah that was really, Torah really has nothing to do with Yom Kippur. Torah is supposed to come to us on Shavuos. But because we had a block, now the block isn't here. So now suddenly, oh, bang, oh, the Torah is here. So it was nice to realize, oh, we got the Torah again. But there's nothing intrinsic in regards to Tshuva and Torah. That idea of that kind of coincidental kind of connection, the Alter Rebbe in this discourse comes to uh, uh, diffuse and refute. 
he explains that the tshuva and the giving of the Torah is the same thing. It's not like it just happens to be. And that every year, the ultimate, ultimate tshuva, the, the deepest realization of tshuva, is Torah study. Because the, the, the and we'll see in a moment. And that's the main theme and the main idea of the mimer, is how through Torah study one becomes completely, one realizes tshuva on the highest level. In order to understand this, he explains what is tshuva. So generally we always understand tshuva is getting rid of our filth and our garbage. Repentance. We will create chas v'shalom. We live in a world full of, full of tests, full of temptations, full of whatever. And inevitably we will get filthy, dirty, we will make mistakes, we will slip, we will fall, we will do things and whatever. And once a year we've got to clean off. So tshuva then is more about just removing sins. That's what tshuva is. The Alter Rebbe over here and says that's not the real definition of tshuva. That too is tshuva, but that's not the essence of tshuva. The essence of tshuva is returning to become close with God again. That's true. And what does it mean to become close with God? God is everywhere. God is everywhere. What does it mean to return to become close with Hashem? If Hashem is there, you can't go away from Him because... God says, if King David says, if I run down into Sha'ol, into the, the deep purgatory, into the darkest places, Hinaka, you're there. If I go up to heaven, you're there. Where can I escape from you? We read it on Yom Kippur 2 that Yonah was trying, trying to run away from God and he got caught in Matthew in the, in the storm. There you go. And so these, these are our. So you can't run away from Hashem. So what does it mean to go far from God? So go far from Hashem says, what it really means is, going far from God means when one's consciousness dims, when you're not aware of Hashem's truth, that means going far from Him. Because you're distancing yourself, and to you it's as if He's not around. The more a person has v'shalom, the more one becomes less aware of God and obviously what causes one to become less aware of God the more one becomes self-conscious and aware of themselves the greater their barrier the greater the klipa the greater the concealment and he uses a very interesting analogy in that discourse he says people can be standing one next to each other but if they're standing back to back like a couple that are upset at each other and they're both in the car they're sitting side by side but they got into some argument and they can drive for three hours, and one is looking this way, and the other one is looking that way, and they're cold, and they're icy, and they're just not connected. So even though physically they're so close, but, but emotionally, and they're, they're, they're back to back. They're not, they're not looking into each other. So the same is also, God is everywhere. The question is, is your heart open to Him? Is your heart open to God? That's the question. And what does it mean, the heart, to be open to God? So by the Alter Rebbe, it's kind of a little bit like an all, of, an all or nothing. What he means over here is not to make things difficult, but he just about, he gives us a little bit of a reality check. He says, being conscious of God in its truest sense means recognizing that God is and there's nothing but Him. 
That's the true Hasidic interpretation of recognizing God. Because the, 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 the primary premise or the, the main uh, truth of God is that He is and there's none but Him. So as long as a person has attachments and connections and pursuits and elements in which they are attached to, things, things other than Hashem and His Torah and His mitzvahs that occupy a person's mind, or where a person gets connected to, his heart gets connected to, I want this, I want that, I want, I need, I have this, I have, I have my projects, I have my life, I have my things, and this and that. That means not recognizing God. Of course, the, let me explain something. The Alter Rebbe is dealing over here with truth. He's dealing with MS. Of course, you know, when a person is beginning to enter into a spiritual life, there's many, many phases and many stages, and 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 and, and even those that are seasoned, uh, so to speak, in spirituality and in godliness. Halavai. But the Alter Rebbe, however, is presenting the truth. The truth is that God and holiness is supposed to become such an obsession to the point that nothing else matters in your life. Nothing else matters in your life but cleaving to Hashem. Nothing else. And if it's not to the point where nothing else matters and there are other things that matter, is a sign you're not at all aware of God. Because God's truth cancels all of existence, all other reality. That does not mean that you don't eat. That does not mean that you don't sleep. That does not mean that you're not social. That does not mean that you don't engage in business and in other things. Of course you do, but all those things are swallowed up in a godly consciousness, which means all these things are consumed with two things. First of all, you can't wait to stop doing these things because you want to run. Your most important highlight time of the day is the time that you're secluding yourself with God, you're learning Torah and you're doing mitzvahs. That is your highlight. That's your exciting. You have to do other things. But even when you're doing other things, you're finding the godly the godly intention in them. I need food so I can sustain my body, so I can do a mitzvah, so I can study Torah, so I can be connected to Hashem. I need to work so I can live a little more comfortably and I don't have all this pressure. And maybe I'm even working to make an extra couple of dollars in my bank. Not just bare minimum, but I'm doing that so that I don't have the worry and the concern and the pressure so I can give my, myself for the couple of hours a day that I am really learning, I don't have to be, I don't have anxiety and stuff like that because I know that, thank God, I have a decent parnasa. I'm, I'm, I'm covered. I can, I can, I can learn. I don't have a. So this is all. That means a person is not stepping out of the unity because all day long they're God. And when this, when one really hears this, um, that's called that's called being face, face to face. You're turning to Hashem. You're face. You're being close to Him. Because from the deepest desire of your soul and from your being, you want to cleave to God. And why do you want to cleave to Him? Because He's your only reality. Everything else is ayin ve'efes. Everything else is naught and nothing. Um, 
when a person is standing face, that's called face. Face means you're panemius. Panem in Hebrew comes from the word panemius. When your face is towards Hashem, what, what does that cause? A face, a person's face towards God causes the same from God to, to the person. Because Hashem too, even though Hashem is everywhere and He enlivens the entire world and God gives life to every creature and every being from the large, huge galaxies to the tiniest, tiniest bacteria and, and subatomic particles. God is enlivening everything, but there is a difference in the, in the way Hashem is giving life to all of existence. Certain things God is giving life with His back, and certain things God is giving life with His front. That which Hashem is excited to, enli- to enliven, because God desires to give that creature being life, because this gives him pleasure, that's called Hashem's face is there. Hashem's joy, happiness, excitement, and pleasure is there. That which God is giving life to matter-of-factly, without much interest, obviously if there wouldn't be any interest, then it would be just be deleted from existence. Then why would God create it? Everything obviously in the world has purpose. But there are many things whose purpose is just extremely secondary. They're a necessity, especially evil, negative. For example, God says, I despise and I hate Amalek. I hate them. They're my arch enemy. Yet, they're still around until Mashiach comes. They're still around for thousands of years. How are they around? Obviously, God is creating. God is creating every cell in their body. Every cell in their being, the Abishter is creating. If God is creating and making in them every second, then, then, then hold it. Then well, how does he hate them? And the answer is both are true. He hates them, but he creates them because there's a necessity. Being that Hashem had a plan that we should choose good, we should have a test in this world, and we should... His presence should be revealed in this world as a result of our efforts. And in order for it to be, eff- to be to require effort so it can be rewarding for us, there had to be things that are concealing. So the forces of evil and the forces of darkness conceal God. And, for, and amongst them, an extreme example is Amalek. It's antithesis to God. So God wants them, but He wants them to destroy them. And he wants them to be eliminated. But yet he's giving them life. So when he's giving them, he's giving them very unwillfully. Even though there is will, but it's considered external, external, external will. Like I give the example many times. When a person pays their taxes, unless you're a super maniac patriot, patriot, uh, which today's days I think there are only very, very few left, but unless you are a crazy patriot, like really, really, really from your entire being, and that's all that you care about, when you pay your, your, the IRS, you do it. Obviously, the check would not end up in the mailbox if you had no will. But the will is a very, very reluctant will. It's a painful will. It's like you really, really don't want to, but you know, no choice, because you don't want to deal with the consequences. 
So you put the check in the mailbox, but there is no, you throw it like over your shoulder, like you're not interested in it. So the question is like this, where does God give life to, what does Hashem desire, and where does Hashem, meaning where is God's face, and where is God's back? Hashem is everywhere, but to certain places and beings, He's turning His face, there's like, ah, I want to pump life into this creature, into this being, with all my pleasure and all my delight. And certain places, God is turning his back. Where is God's face? Hashem's face is to only those who turn their face to him. Those who want God deeply in their life, who want the relationship, God wants a relationship with them. Those who are willing to accept God's truth. And what's God's truth? That He is and there's none but Him. I mean, those who are willing to live completely submerged in godly content, in godly purpose. Which means those that are willing to surrender their egos and their sense of I am and live melted, so to speak, in God's purpose and in God's reality. That, as we said earlier, those that are recognizing God because that's what it means to recognize Hashem. The truth of God is that there's none but Him. So anybody who's not willing to acknowledge that, and anybody that still wants to keep a little tiny space called me, and that's where we're God, but that's not, that, that's my, that's my, that's me. So that means that you're not willing to acknowledge the basis of that Hashem is the omnipresent and omnibeing and the only reality. And as long as one is holding on to that yeshus, that means even if you're doing mitzvahs, and even if you're doing good things, but you're not doing it with all your heart and soul then you're doing it with your chitzonius, with your back. It's interesting. He, he, he discusses an, a very, very powerful idea. The only way to really love Hashem, from your inner, 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 deepest desire, the only way to do that is by a very, cl- by, if you have clarity, a strong, clear understanding that that before God, because here's the thing, there's a lot of competition to loving God. There's a lot of competition. There's so many other loves and passions. And like we see, you know, how many people do we find that God is their obsession? Very rare. You see a tzaddik. You see a holy man. But there are very few of such holy people. Most people, their hearts, their passions get stuck in other things. Things that are related to perpetuating the self, not perpetuating God. So to love God truthfully with all your heart and all your soul has to begin with a cognition, with a recognition of the mind. You You have to have a realization that there's really nothing else to love. God is life. Right? God is life and there's none but Him. And everything else and all worldly. But, and, and, and as he explains more, not only is God the world because the world is sustained by godly energy, God being the world is the very, very, very tail end of God. That's not God. That's God's, God's ray. Explains. Hashem, because to Hashem Himself, the worlds are zero. They don't exist. Only to Hashem's exter- only to Hashem's attribute of kingship 
is through which God gives importance and significance to creation. And we know that the attribute of kingship, those a little familiar with Kabbalistic writings, the, the, the attribute of kingship is the, most, is, the, is, the, is the most external attribute of God. The, the latter, the, 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 the lowest of all attributes. So God as being the power in creation, but by saying God is the power of creation, you're still acknowledging there is a creation and God is the power in creation. But creation has some chashivus. Creation has some importance and has some meaning. Right? Creation has some importance. Creation has some significance some meaning. Because if you're saying God is the creator of the universe, that means you're looking at the universe as something. And Hashem says, wow, look at my universe. I created. Isn't this awesome? Isn't this cool? Look at this. Look what I created. That's true. God is very proud of the creation that He creates. But that's only in the, in the attribute of kingship. The attribute of kingship, in order for God to be there, so to speak, God has to make Himself extremely, 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 extremely childish. He has to really, really, really condense His true truth that nothing exists but Him. And limit himself to like kind of create this imaginary reality of a world and a creation in which he interacts with it. So only within that headspace, so to say, of Shekhinah, only in that construct of, 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 of Shekhinah and of Malchut, of Malchus is where you have God and a creation. Above Shekhinah, which what we call the Or in Sof, the infinite light, this, or he refers to it in the discourse as the Soviv Kalalman. God's light that encompasses all of creation, which is not God's imminence, but God's transcendence. From that level, creation literally is a non-existence. It doesn't exist. It's not and none. Now here's what he's saying. If one meditates on Hashem's Shekhinah element, then you, that will not bring you to to disconnect from all worldly things. Because out of that perception, one still has an appreciation for creation. Creation is still something. After all, God's greatness is that He created the sky. God's greatness, great, greatness is that He created this beautiful, juicy apple. And I can enjoy it, and look how great. So there is a recognition of Hashem, but it's a recognition of Hashem's... Hashem... A very... A, it's recognizing God's creative power, but not God. So you're recognizing His creative energy, but not Him. When one is able to pick his eyes up, Su'u Menechem, Shema Yisrael, the word Shema actually stands for Su'u Menechem. When a person is able to raise his awareness and his consciousness and say that this whole creation is just an element of Malchus, and beyond that, from the truth of the way God sees it, God as He is high before He contracts Himself to be a king, there literally is nothing but Him. Then what happens is suddenly this important create, and if it really clicks, again, if this idea really, really registers and clicks within a person to the point that you can sense it and feel it, then suddenly you realize, what am I obsessed with? What am I so, what am I investing my energies in? More money. So that what? I'll have more money, so I'll have what? 
I'll have be able to buy more of what? More of the pleasures of this world. But this world is nothing. No, but I'll be able to have more recognition. People will honor me. I'll have more prestige. I'll walk into a place and people say, Oh, Mr. So-and-so, how are you? I heard about you. You were written up here. You did this. this. Who is recognizing you? But who are you getting recognition? Even if you're in, you know, uh, you know, with a plaque over here on the big, big, big building as the big whatever, it's still, <laughs> creation is nothing. All of existence even if I'm recognized by all the billion people, all eight billion people on the planet are talking about me. It's still nothing. So honor, money, all of this equals zero. And, and here's the thing. When this reality is true, this truth is truly felt in the soul, that you really feel it, inevitably, two things happen. Creation and everything creation has to give you becomes of zero value. You lose all passion in food, in good tasting things. You lose all passion in all the other pleasures that there are in physical life. Obviously, this is, this, this, this is, this is real high level. But this is truth. The Alter Rebbe says, we should attain it and could attain it. And suddenly it all becomes meaningless. But a second feeling kicks in. A feeling of frustration. A feeling of deep pain, a feeling of, because you feel now trapped, because you do know that soif kol soif what? I'm not God. And where am I stuck? I'm stuck in this construct of worlds that are from God's true perspective and as a real, real reality of realities are absolutely non-existent. And I'm stuck in this web, so to speak, of make-believe existence that doesn't have any real reality to it at all. So to the soul of the Alter Rebbe, this thought was horrific. This thought that I'm, I'm living in, in, in this, in this make-believe reality that has no true substance and meaning from, the true, from true reality is frustrating. It, may, it drove him crazy. It drove the Alter Rebbe crazy himself in his life. And he's sharing this with the Hasidim. He says, Hevra, wake up and sense this. If you feel this and you sense this, then you become extremely frustrated. Frustrated and you have a burning desire to become, to tap into true existence, which is God's true existence. But to become part of God's, but to tap into God's existence, you have to exit creation. And which and one of the after you have to exit, you can't be you and experience that because the whole notion is that there's nothing but God. God is infinite. Infinite means that He is and there's no one but Him. He fills every possible existence. So it's only Him. So that you can't be you and have it because the moment you're you, you're not there. Yeah, there's a paradox over here. As long the moment if you have any self-consciousness and any sense, so the only thing is to dissolve, to melt, to 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 to. And that's why, yeah, the word tzaddikim who had, who, who, who felt this, who felt this truth burning in their souls and they couldn't stand it and their souls just popped. But this is not God's will. Because God does not will, want us to experience this and exit creation. What's the will of God? 
The will of Hashem is that you should want this and then draw his MS and his truth into, yeah, to fuse yourself with God while you're still in the body, while you're in this world. And guess what? Transcend yourself completely. Transcend your created state. And then you become what? Just an extension of God's infinite light shining through a narrow channel in this world, and that's you. But you're not you anymore. You have become completely swallowed up in Hashem. And that's, re- and that's, the, true, that's the real, real. That's what the Abishta said by Matan Torah, Anochi Hashem Elokecha. I Havaya, I, the Yutke Vavke, the infinite light, Elokecha, I'm your power. You as a Jew, you could be living in this MS. But let me step a step, a step back. This idea that the person is frustrated and can't bear being a being, being a somebody, living in this disconnected consciousness. And disconnected consciousness in the subtlety means being someone other than God, being a creation, is driving a person crazy. This is expressed in every day in the when 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 we say va'ahafta, you should love as Hashem Elokecha. So hear the depth of how the Alter Rebbe sees these words. Simply, you learn va'ahafta. So you should love God. Oh, I love God. <laughs> Very spiritual. What does it mean on the deeper sense, loving God? Va'ahafta means you should desire. That what? What should you desire? Because the root of love is desire. You should have a burning desire. That what? Havaya elokecha. That your energy should not be your energy, your power, your drive in your life, your 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 underlying force that's in you. What drives us all day long? What's, what's our... Elohim means power. What's our Elohim? What's your power? What your power is, self. That's my underlying power. What do I get up in the morning and wake up? Is because I'm driven to make something of my life. To do what? To be successful. To make money. To have this, to do that, to have a good time. To, uh, uh, so the Elohim, the power in a person is his ego, his self. But you should desire, it should frustrate you that that's what it is. You should desire that Hashem, God, Yudke Vavke, Elokecha, that should be your power. Which means that you should, you're desiring that your ego should become completely surrendered in God's, in God's eye. And the eye of Hashem should be your eye. And then automatically what happens? You're living not as you, you're living as an expression of God in this world. But how can you do that? I mean, God is God. He's out. I'm a created being. My thoughts are my thoughts. My feelings are my feelings. My intelligence is my intelligence. What do you mean? I, just because I want, so you want. You can want from today till tomorrow, so you want. Now, by the way, let me just step back one second. The love that you love God to this extent is a product of what? Of Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. 
understand? When Shema Yisrael, when the soul, only a Jew really has the sensitivity, that neshama, to be able to really hear and sense this unity, that Hashem Elokeinu, that God is our, Hashem Echad, that God is the only reality. Echad means not there's only one God. It means Echad, that He is one and there's nothing but Him. That's the philosophy. That's the idea. That's the mental awareness. What does that generate? That will generate va'ahavta. You love that what? That God should overtake your life, that you should just become an expression of Him and not to be you. And then you're living truth. You're not living in this make-believe reality. You've now exited your... Oh, but the question, how can you? It's nice. We want... So the Torah immediately gives us the answer. What does it say right after Vahafta Hashem Elokecha? B'chol levavcha. And what does it mean? B'chol levavcha, b'chol nafshecha, b'chol modecha? means that that desire, that you want God to completely consume you completely, should be b'chol levavcha, should, should fill your entire heart, all your passion and all your drive. B'chol nafshecha, your entire soul, it should be so consuming. B'chol modecha, you should feel like you're exploding with this desire. You need it like crazy. You desperately need it. Good, so you want. Now what? This can remain a, 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 a desire that is, never, that is never reached. It can't be fulfilled. How in the world are you supposed... How in the world can you become God? You can't. And the answer is, unless God lets you become Him. And where did God enable you to become Him? The Torah continues. The Pasuk continues. The problem you have is that your thoughts are about you. You're thinking your thoughts. What are we thinking? All day long. I'm thinking, right? How do I become a millionaire? How do I do this? How do I do this? How do I take care of this? How do I, how do I, uh, whatever. Even I want to do, it's all, it's all you. You're thinking yourself. God says, I'm going to give you Dvarim I'm going to give you my Torah. What's my Torah? My Torah is my intelligence, my thoughts. And guess what you're going to do? You're going to think my, my Torah. And I've enclosed myself in the Torah. God's infinite light. And here's the beauty of Torah. We said earlier, and I, this, is, this, this is a pivotal idea in the entire discussion tonight. This is a very, very important idea. In creation, God does not express Himself. In creation, God expresses only a tiny little sliver of His power. We said earlier, in creation, God only manifests His Shekhinah. Shekhinah is only His kingship. It's only a very external ray of Him. God is being childish, so to speak. Imagine this great genius of geniuses, you know, deciding to, 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 to play in the mud and make some mud piles. Are you going to say that Albert Einstein's Chachma was expressed in the couple of mud tunnels that he made because he sat down with his grandson and he was playing with? Even though I'm sure Albert Einstein's mud castles would be pretty interesting and a little more sophisticated than an average uh, schmogo who's going to make mud castles. But it still is mud castles. It's not in this is the Chachma of an Einstein. Not in this is his Chachma. So the Alter Rebbe says about the Eibishter, hear these words, Hear these words? 
I'll repeat them in Hebrew because they're so beautiful. Not this is the primary power of God, that the world's will come about through him. For God, that's cheapskakes. That's child's play. So therefore, by finding God in creation, by marveling at a magnificent sunset, by looking at beautiful waterfalls, and your soul is like, wow, God, you're awesome. By looking at the stars and examining, looking into the Hubble telescope, and seeing like them, then you can really come to a like, wow. But you're not seeing God. You're seeing a tiny reflection of His power. It's only coming from Shekhinah. There's only one place where God Himself has entered into, and that is His, is his Torah. The Pasuk says, Oita or Kasalma. God wraps Himself in light like a garment. So let's think, take those words. God wraps himself in light like a garment. That means light becomes his garment. Just like a person wraps his entire being. You take a wrap, you put it around you like a talus. You take the entire talus and you wrap like a prayer shawl, right? The entire body gets wrapped in it. God, but here it is. We're not talking about Shekhinah. We're talking about God Almighty Himself, the infinite, transcendental God, who no thought and no being can ever know Him or reach Him or even possibly dream of ever being able to. He's not graspable by anybody. Yet, He, he wraps Himself in light. Oh, wow. So light is awesome. But what's light? What are we talking about? What's light? Torah or... Torah is light. So when it says God wraps Himself in light, He means... God wraps himself in the Torah. Now God, as he is undressed, meaning God's true being, as he is unclothed, we cannot know him. We cannot attach ourselves to him. But when God wraps himself in a garment, why does he wrap himself? Why does a person wear a garment? For yourself, you don't need it. If you're the only person around, you can run around naked. What do you put on clothing? Is because you need to present yourself to others. God needs to, in order for God to reveal himself to us, he needs a garment. The Torah is the garment through which Hashem reveals himself to who? Is the garment through which the Abishta reveals himself to us. So therefore, what does it mean? So therefore, what happens? When a person is studying Torah, so when you start, let's say, let's say you take any subject in Torah, you learn the Mishnah, you sit down, you say, today I'm going to learn Gemara. You sit down with a Chavrusa, you're inspired, take art scroll, sit down, you start learning. Two people have grabbed onto a talis. This one says, I found it. This one says, I found it. And you're having this debate, in the Torah, a Talmudic scholarly a debate about various different things. Who owns it? If two people find this claim, how do you resolve the dispute? It seems like it's just a matter of logistics. It's a matter of of, um, of legality over here to figure it out. It's something for a court. But yeah, we know an interesting thing. Do you know, if I'm not planning ever to go into judiciary, whatever, if I'm not planning to be a rav, a diet. Ever, ever wonder that? Why in the world should I be learning Masechtas Babakama? Which deals with 
with, with, with litigation. I'm not planning to be a, a rabbi. I'm not planning to be a judge. And I'm not even trying, I'm not even planning to be a lawyer, so to speak, or a toyeman. So that's not my, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a businessman, I'm a painter. I paint, why do I, if I have a dispute with someone, I'll go to the rabbi to resolve the dispute. Why is it that Judaism wants every, in, 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 in the secular world, if I'm not planning to be a lawyer, why would I? Why would I? World, world would I read books on law? It's like so. It's irrelevant. If I'm planning to be a judge, a lawyer, a prosecutor, the whole thing is irrelevant. I shouldn't learn it. If I want to become a doctor, I'll learn medicine. If I don't want to become a doctor, why learn medicine? In Torah, it's not that way. Do you know that every single Jew has an obligation to study the entire Torah, even things that have absolutely nothing to do with you. So why do you have to study it? And the answer is. You're studying the Torah not for, not for the knowledge. You're studying the Torah because someone is dressed inside those Torah, inside those words. And when you're thinking those words, an amazing thing is happening. And these are the words of the Alter Rebbe, which is like frightening. You and God are getting very close. Very close. How close? You are both under the same blanket. Under the same blanket. That's how close you've got. Because you've entered under the garment of Torah. Torah is a garment. God has entered from the other direction into the same garment. And your soul and God. Now we say God, we're not talking anymore the rays of God, the Shekhinah. We're talking about HaKadosh Baruch Hu B'chvodu God Almighty Himself is dressed in that very same garment. And guess what? That burning desire that you had before to transcend the created reality, the finite limited existence, and to meet and to merge with God while you're in a body. You don't have to die to do that. Guess what? God has made Himself accessible to us. In Torah study, the th- while these thoughts are God's thoughts, he is inside of it, you're inside of it, and you're t- together, you're sharing one garment. And both Neshama and Hashem are becoming as intimate as possible. Any part of Torah, because Hashem is in Torah, in Chassidus as well, anything. In Torah is God's garment. That is unbelievable. So now what happens is like this. When someone appreciates this, now, we said before, the meditation on God's unity causes you, and really getting it, if if you really get it, what happens? Creation becomes meaningless. The heart's obsession becomes with only one, the source of life, and the reality of realities, in which all of existence is nothing to in front of Hashem. The heart burns for union with that. Now I'm burning. But God gives me an answer. You want to be close to me here. So how do you quench your thirst? How do you quench a thirst of desire? Now a person can't live with this burning either, because then either they will die out of this love, or they'll just be in pain. That's not the point. The point is that you should have a fusion with God. When you're learning Torah, you're quenching your thirst. 
not are you quenching it. Now the Rebbe says, when you meditate on the before-mentioned thing that we just said earlier, that while you're learning Torah, you have now achieved absolute fusion, your neshama with God in the deepest, most intimate, intimate way, because you and God are now under the same blanket. You're so close, you're so one. It's unbelievable, right? This union, this oneness. So not only that, now the next feeling that comes, you see how the buildup of feelings first comes first comes a withdrawal from the physical material stuff. Next thing comes frustration. Next thing comes yearning, burning desire. And finally now comes what? Fulfillment. See? Deep fulfillment. And what's going to come after the fulfillment? The greatest sense of pleasure. Because do you realize what's going on right now? Why are things in this world pleasurable? Every pleasure that there is in the physical. Everything that's pleasurable. Why are things pleasurable? The pleasure doesn't come from the actual physicality, from the matter. Obviously, everybody realized that, that pleasure is something you can't weigh. Can you weigh pleasure? Can you quantify it? Can you say how big it is? Everybody understands that pleasure is a, is a sensation. And a sensation is, is spiritual. So what's the pleasure in anything? Whether pleasure in food, pleasure in a, in a visual, seeing something beautiful, hearing things. What's that pleasure? That pleasure is something spiritual. That means there's an energy. The, the pleasure is coming from the energy that's in it. You understand? The chayos, the energy. And the energy of the pleasure is what? A tiny little crumb of God's energy. That's why it's pleasurable. So the pleasure you hear in a symphony is coming because there is energy. In those sounds is life pulsating. That's what, that's what music is. Music is life. It moves you. All the various different sounds coming together creates a magnificent energy. And that energy is pleasurable because life is pleasurable because God is in it. So God is the source of life and God is the source of all pleasure. Those are physical pleasures. Our physical pleasures are tiny little, little crumbs of energy with tiny little bits of pleasure mixed in them of divine pleasure. But here's this. Imagine if you can in one second experience all the pleasure in the cosmos. Imagine if your soul, hear this, imagine if your soul, if you had a place where you can take your soul and plug, imagine if you had a little pl- outlet for your nisham, a little, a little uh, think of your soul with a little, with a little, um, what is it called? Not an outlet, what's the other thing? No, the thing you put into the outlet. A cord. Imagine your soul has a little cord, a char- which you can charge, right? And you can take your soul and plug it in, there's a certain outlet that says plug it over there. And when you plug it over there, you're going to, for a moment, experience cosmic pleasure. The pleasure that's there in all the energy of all of creation and in all of physicality. Every pleasure that's there. Obviously, it would be a stupid thing to do because we would instantly die from that pleasure because the pleasure is just much too intense from one individual human being for his brain to be able to register and withhold such intense vibration of pleasure. But I meant... That's, imagine, only the physical pleasure. Imagine if you can feel all the pleasure that there is in the 
spiritual worlds and the angels tap into all those pleasures. Ugh, ugh, nothing to talk about. It's like unbelievable. And that's what it does say. Where do you tap into the pleasure of the cosmos? When your neshama goes out of a body and it goes to Gan Eden, when the neshama goes out of a body and it goes to Gan Eden, it, it experiences this great cosmic pleasure. And it says that it's so awesome. And the soul, is able, the soul has the capacity because it's not in a body anymore. So you're not afraid that the brain will like, it will fry the brain. Because there's no physical brain, so it's just a spiritual being. So the soul is like convulsing in pleasure. But it's able to handle it, fine. But that pleasure, it says it's so beautiful and so delightful and so magnificent that it's worth, the Talmud says it's worth for a person to suffer horrible sufferings of purgatory. The worst pains that you can't even imagine in order to be able to come to that pleasure. It's worth it. Because it's pleasure on a whole different scale. Even though in our physical world, it, we're not accustomed for a person to say, you know, I'm promising you a lot of pleasure, but first come to my cellar. I want to torture you for a week. I'll put you on a torture rack. I have all kinds of devices. And after that, I'll really, really reward you. I'll give you $2 million. You'll be able to buy yourself a whole lot of pleasure. People will not do that. Because, because, because pain is not... It's, it's just too horrific. But we do say, the sages say that it was worth it to let the sage go, through, this person who became an apostate, go through years of hell, which is much worse pain, in order to come to the lower Gan Eden because the pleasure is just of a different kind. Now, that's the pleasure of the lower Gan Eden. Imagine the higher Gan Eden. But hear this. The Alter Rebbe says in this mime, he see, the problem with the Alter Rebbe is as much he has so much, has no problem. He has so many, he has such an unbelievable ability to articulate, and yet you feel that he's trying to tell us something that is so hard to put into words. Because he's telling you, listen here, this is only the pleasure of creation, this is only the Shekhinah, the Shekhinah is only a ray of God. Imagine if you can tap into life as it truly is, God's true existence. Not the ray, just God Himself. And the Alter Rebbe says, guess what? You are plugging into it every time you sit down and you learn because you and God Himself are on the same blanket. You're, you're intimate. Your soul is now merging with Hashem's light. Under the blanket, you and God are merging. It's unbelievable. You have become now one with God. With the source of all, the source of all pleasure, source of the, the ain't self. Are you going to say, <laughs> are you going to say, but I don't feel it. I don't feel it at all. I feel uh, I'm learning a Gemara here. Abaya says, Rav says, Rav Nachman says, Rav Papa says. It's like, wow, like, why? <laughs> so the Alter Rebbe says, well, that's exactly what you should make, make you so happy, is that you're tapping into a pleasure that you're too small to be able to, to think it. To a pleasure that you can feel big deal. Okay, fine. But we're giving you something so intense and so powerful that you can't, and that itself is a proof how, how, how unbelievable magnificent it is. That you, it's impossible for you to be able to, that it should be revealed in you because obviously the world can't handle it. You couldn't handle it. But, but in truth, that's what's happened. So when a person understands that, then God doesn't only become the passion of your life. This is very, very deep. God doesn't only become the passion of your life. God becomes the pleasure in you.
Once that happens, that a person reaches this point, that Hashem becomes the pleasure of your life, guess what? Now you're standing face to face. This is what it means to stand face to Hashem. Your, 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 all your pleasure and your, your delight is in mitzvah and is in holiness. That's tshuva. If we're not there, because as we all know, our minds are not there. We're far, far from there. We're still so stuck. In, and by the way, you should know the moment the Mashiach shofar is going to blow and the dark cloud is going to fog, is going to rise up. And suddenly there's going to be this powerful defogging. Ever always look at the car, like you, when your front window is fogged or the back window is fogged, and you put on the defogger, and then a little, just a little while, you have a, what was before so dark suddenly is clear. This, this, what we're talking about right now, is going to become clear to everybody to see the moment Mashiach comes. Because all the fog is going to go away, and we're going to see how, we're, how God is the only reality. is going to truly exist after Mashiach comes because everything is going to function from that place once Mashiach comes. But, 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 so, so, but only in this state, when you feel this and sense this, is there a true, can we say that you want God from your panemius? Without this recognition, even if you have space in your heart for spiritual things, and Hashem is a nice, and it's, it's a nice enhancer of your life, it's beautiful, it's wonderful to have spirituality. It's like I have my top ten. What's the top ten in my life? I have a whole list. Maybe God is number nine, maybe. Or maybe even if He's number three or number four, but as long as there's a top ten and there's a bunch of other things, you're not there at all. To, to be in a state of panim bepanim, yes, is only a tzadik gomer. Someone who really hears it's but the Alter Rebbe who says to us, guess what? In Aseris Yemei Tshuva, during this time of the year, is where everybody can come to this. That's what Tshuva is. Inevitably, we're going to get caught up. The life gets to us, the world gets to us. The concealments are so powerful, so strong. They suck us in so strongly. We become so pulled into, the, into, the, into, into becoming a yesh, to becoming a metzias, and seeing the world as a metzias. It's so easy to open up a mimer and say, you know, the world's a nothing, but to really, really, really sense this in every fiber of your being. This is what he says, is what Chazal means. When they, in Mishnah, in Avis, they describe the ultimate Jewish life. They say, what's the admirable Jewish life? They say like this, Pas b'melech tochel. Bread and salt you will eat. U'bemayim b'mesura tishteh. And water you can drink in an earthen clay vessel. V'ala'aretz tishan. And you will sleep on the earth, on the floor, on the ground. And painful life you will live. And if you will do that, and in Torah you will you will you will toil. And then what? Fortunate to you in this world, fortunate to you in the world to come. I want to ask you a simple question. 
The guy is eating a hard piece of bread with a little bit of salt. Not even a little hummus over there or something, you know. A little, uh, whatever, what's it called? The, the other, the, 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 the matbucha, whatever. Something, a little tomato flavor, something with a little spice. With a, no, no, bread and salt. And even the salt is only necessary because you have to dip in salt. Water in, an, in a clay vessel. In, in an earthenware. So there's nothing fancy going on in your life at all. Just a clay vessel. You don't even have a mattress and a pillow to sleep on. You're learning Torah. So I understand. This is a person who has made Olam Haba his ultimate life. This is a person who knows that this world is nothing compared to the palace of the world to come. This guy is going gung-ho the whole way. Full nine yards. He's giving up on everything. Yeah, but he's living a fakakta life. Come on. Is that not true? Is he not living a fakakta life? He's living a tahakta life. He's sleeping on the floor. He's very uncomfortable. His back hurts him. He, he's very nice. It's a very terrible life. No. So it's one thing if the sages say, Ashrecha la'olam haba. Why do they say it interesting? Ashrecha, how fortunate is he? Ba'olam in this world. Why is he fortunate in this world? He's not. He's living miserably in this world. He's miserable. He just knows that it's worth it to live miserable here temporarily for the beauty of Olam Abba. That's the way B'nai Torah live. You know, you have people live in these places. My wife used to study learning Gateshead. People, not poor. They just devoted their life to learn Torah. People in B'nai Barak, they have 12, 15 children, momish poverty. They're happy. They're not happy with, with Olam Hazeh. But they're happy because they, people have been taught so much that Olam Abba is worth it. The pleasures of this world are silly compared to that. But they're not happy. It's not a pleasure in this world. It's not pleasurable. Okay, you enjoy learning. That's one thing. But what's that? Shrecha Ba'olam So the Alter Rebbe says like this. We're talking about exactly what the true motivation to learn Torah. What's the true motivation to learn Torah is... It begins with chaye tsar tichye. You're pained. You're living a painful life. No, because really, the Mishnah itself is contradicting itself. Hear this. The Mishnah is saying chaye tsar tichye. You're living pain. We're not dealing with a person like Reb Zusha of Anapali. This is great. This is, oh, this is great. You're not, no, because you're not, you're not living like Reb Zusha of Anapali. Reb of Anapoli, the famous story that the person came to the Magid and said, how are you supposed to thank God for bad stuff, like the good? So the Magid said, for this, you have to ask, go check with my student Zusha. He, he'll know the answer. So the person comes to Reb house, and Reb is sitting on the ground. Reb is sitting in a tahakta hut. The family is hungry, it's cold, it's freezing. They're, they're trying to get like one piece of wood going over there and everybody's shivering. The wife is there and holding, she has a blanket on her. Like, they're trying, there's nothing to eat. The kids have look at and they're... And then he's watching, he's Mamsha Rahmanas. So he thinks, okay, this is the practice of the person to ask. How are you supposed to thank God for the bad? So he asks Zusha, later he comes over to him. And Zusha says, with all of his sincerity, like today we learned Tom and Tiamash, with all of his full sincerity, he says, I... I Totally don't understand why the Maggid sent you to ask me. This is a question you have to ask people who've had hard times in their life. He says, I haven't had a bad day in my life. And this, so that's a, that's a different person. That's a tzaddik who is living in a different realm where Gashmias is nothing. We're going to see that's talking what the Mishnah is talking about. But the Mishnah seems to be saying, The fact that the guy is eating bread 
and 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 salt. And next door, they're eating sushi with wasabi and whatever. And he hears what's going on over there. It's causing him pain. He's not happy that he's sleeping on the floor. He's not happy that he's drinking water and not fine or whatever wines. So if that's the case, so how can it's a contradiction? If he's chayet tsar, how can you say ashrecha ba'olam azeh? Why is he ashrecha ba'olam If he doesn't have pain, I understand why ashrecha ba'olam azeh. But if he has pain, how is he ashrecha ba'olam azeh? So the Alter Rebbe learns it like this. Okay, I don't know how you learned the Mishnah without it. He says, no, 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 no. Chayet tsar is because your soul is pained. Not because you're adding bread and salt. Not because you're sleeping on the floor. You're in pain because you realize how pathetic this world is. How we're stuck in this make-believe construct of empty, hollow nothingness because compared to God, all of existence is nothing. All of creation is being sustained. Hear this. All of creation is being sustained by one thought. All worlds, by one thought. What's the value of a thought in compared to the thinker's ability to think endless thoughts? What's that one thought? It's nothing. So when you realize how empty, nothing, so suddenly you feel you have deep pain. Get me out of here. Let me live in truth. Let me be in touch with truth. That's your tsar. That's your pain. Oh, so as a result of this pain, what happens? All the other things in this world, it is not a person who's fighting not to eat. He's eating, he's, he's like, he looks and he's like seeing all these delicious pastries and cinnamon rolls and buns and this and that. And it's like, oh, I don't know, the Mishnah says that. No, we're talking about a person where everything has become so meaningless. And therefore, why does he eat? Just to stay alive. Because, it does, because or else he wouldn't take anything. Just a beer minimum to stay alive, a little bit of water, sleeps on the floor. Because everything... It's not that he dafka sleeps on the floor. He doesn't care about anything else but... So if he has to sleep, he sleeps on the floor. He sleeps on the floor. And I'm, it's not like a guy who's like trying to sleep on the floor. It's like it doesn't mean anything to him. Physical... His sar is... Oh, but since Batoira Ata'amo, since he's studying Torah, he's in Gan Eden. He is... Because he knows that Watu, the Torah that he's learning, he is connecting to true reality. So Ashrecha Ba'olam while he's alive in this world... He's having more than Gan Eden. Gan Eden is only a ray of God. Gan Eden is only a ziv. Is only a ziv ha It's a ray of the shechina. And I'm not having a ray of the shechina. I'm having not, not even the shechina. I'm having a Kodesh Baruch Hu himself. Total fusion with God himself. So in this world he's happy. And of course happy to world to come. But if not, if you're not in this place, then you're not happy. How could this world be fulfilling? Comes out according to that, that the ultimate shuva, turning face to face with God, can only be in Limudat Torah, in Torah study. And the Alter Rebbe says something very interesting, you know, for those who have questioned Hasidim in their dedication to Torah study. Because it was like kind of always like, you know, the Hasidim, if anything, maybe they're into mitzvahs, but not into Torah. The Alter Rebbe in this mimer explains why the true thirsty soul can never quench his thirst in doing of mitzvahs. Mitzvahs will not do it, it's only Torah study. 
And that's why real tshuva is the dedication and the devotion to study Torah all the time. As much as, why? Because what did we say before? In order to achieve true reality, means to become one with God, to be subsumed in God's light, to be included in Hashem. The opposite of being one with God is to be a somebody. When somebody is a somebody, the mere fact that you're a somebody, you're already, you're, you're, you're off. You're already in your world. It's to be nullified and bottle in God. And by the way, this kind of learning, and wait, and that happens in Torah. Not even in the mitzvah. Let's see why. In a mitzvah, the very definition of a mitzvah, what's a mitzvah? A mitzvah, you're being commanded by God to do something, to serve Him. Mitzvahs are called mitzvahs hamelech, the mitzvah of the king. The notion of a mitzvah is God is your king and you're His subject and you have to listen to Him. That itself puts you into creation. So that's why when you're in mitzvah mode, you're, 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 you're living in creation reality. In creation, you're doing what God wants you to do. But you're living in creation. You can't be one with God and do a mitzvah. Because then the whole purpose of the mitzvah is not being realized. The whole purpose of the mitzvah is that God is a king. And the king has subjects that are not him. And they're surrendering to him. So the mitzvah requires you to have a little piece of ego. Not ego. But to have, a, to have a self, to be a being other than Hashem. So in mitzvah observance, you cannot do it. You can't be totally one with the Eid But when you're learning Torah, here, here's what the Alter Rebbe says, an amazing thing. The ideal state of Torah study is, when you're learning, that you lose yourself in your learning to the point that you don't even know you exist. All you are hearing are God's svaris. If you're learning and you say, ah, that's pretty genius of me, and that's pretty smart of me, and look at that, and look at that, I came up with that, that's pretty good. And if the learning itself makes you into bigger yesh, makes you into a bigger metzias, then that's the total opposite of Torah study. That's the, the whole point of Torah study is that while you're learning, because in learning, you don't have to be a somebody. Quite a downright. Learning, learning means you're emptying your thoughts of your ideas and your words. And God's words and God's thoughts and God's ideas are penetrating your mind. You're, you're, you're understanding the way God thinks. And at a certain point, you don't even, you're not even aware that you're thinking because now it's almost like God is borrowing your brain to think in your brain. That's really what's happening. It's not borrowing because He truly is your brain. But he's, he's saying, can you loan me your head? And when you're saying your words, it's not your words. It's God saying words through you. In mitzvah, you can't do that. Mitzvah always has a little bit of yeshus there in it. It says for two reasons. First of all, the very idea of mitzvah samelech requires you to be somebody. Secondly, mitzvah you have to do an action. Mitzvah must be done with your guf. Torah can be done with your neshama. Mitzvah, Torah is done with machshava and dibor, thought and speech. Thought and speech are more spiritual. Mitzvah is more physical. Physicality is not able to, at least until Mashiach comes, to have such bittel that it loses all of its mitzvahs completely and it becomes just God. Physicality, physicality is so dense that physicality at best can be something that's surrendered to God, but it, it is something. 
It is something that is surrendered. Torah, since Torah is in thought and speech, thought and speech is more the spiritual, the soul of the person, you can arrive. And he says, Tzadikim, drove two true Torah giants, had absolutely no self-awareness when they studied. And when they said words of Torah, it was God speaking through them. That's why the sages say when there's an argument between the two sages, they say, Elu elu these and those, Divrei Elohim Chayim, is the words of the living God. And that's only because they did not have any self. So the whole purpose of Torah study is an exercise of self-annulment, of self-abnegation, but it's not a destruction, quite on the contrary, it's the ultimate construction. It's the ultimate exiting temporal fake existence to for a couple of moments while you're learning become a channel of what's really true and what's really real. And that happens when a Yid learns Torah. So therefore, now let's go back. The Alter Rebbe says then, the ultimate tshuva to become one, return to God and become one with Him is only through Limud Torah. That's why on Yom Kippur, when God, when we achieve total fusion with God, what does God give us the same, very same day? He gives us the Torah. Because that is this union. It's not two separate things. Tshuva and this kind of Limud Torah is one union. It, it happens on the same day because it is the same thing. Because to turn and become... That's the, that's the mimer that we learned a few years ago, Chazara, on that discourse. That's the introduction to what we're learning today. Okay. Now he's going to explain this, however, far more Kabbalistically, which is going to get a little bit more difficult. But uh, let's learn. Let's see. Let's see how much. I don't know how, 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 how far we're going to be able to go on this, but let's at least make an attempt. Hine. Chayet Tsar Tichya. He brings, he, he, he opens up with the, with what the Mishnah I mentioned earlier in Pirkei Avos. Life of pain you should live. Hainu. What's the pain? Why should you live a life of pain? We're talking about why is the Torah, what is God, does God want you to live with mortification and affliction? No, he says the pain over here is not the pain of the physical. The pain comes when one contemplates the greatness of the Ein Sof. Which as his name, so he is. God is Ein Sof. Ein Lo Sof. He has no end. If God has no end, why am I busy and caught up with stuff that do have an end? That's the thing. Why am I stuck with stuff that today they're here, tomorrow they rot? They're in the toilet. It is what we're busy with. Think about it. And we have God who is in sof. No end. When you, when you hear this, it causes pain. What's the pain? Why am I stuck and not seeing the infinite and not one with the infinite? I'm distant from the light of His countenance. So what is one's nechama? What is one's comfort? How do you comfort yourself? You're living in this world and we're stuck. So how do you comfort yourself? 
Ashrecha v'toiv loch ba'olam azeh. How do you, how can you, how can I live at the one end? I'm living pain, but on the other hand, no, I'm living in Gan Eden. Ashrecha, fortunate. The toiv lachet is good for you ba'olam azeh while you're in this world. Al yadei esekat Torah. The answer is through learning Torah. Shehu chachmasay, shehi chachmasay, which the Torah is God's wisdom. So what is if it's God's wisdom? And that's where the infinite one literally enclothes himself. God himself is enclosed in his chachma. Bichachma, in the chachma. Vinimtza comes out. If I am wrapping my mind in these chachma, if I'm wrapping myself in, in the chachma, because when you're learning something, what are you doing? You're, in, you're investing your mind in this concept. You're burying your mind in an idea. Your mind is swimming inside the concept. It's trying to grab it. It's trying to understand it. So it's inside of it. It's surrounded with the thoughts of the idea. It's surrounding it. Okay. Now, these very, this very concept and this very idea, someone else entered into it. Who's that? God is also in the Ein Sof, is in the Chachma. V'nimtza mislabish gamhu comes out that you are also dressing yourself you are dressed in the same garment that God is dressed. And now there is a yichud, a unification between the ain't self and your soul. And this is the yichud. Now by the way, the Mitla Rebbe gets a little bit more specific over here. And he explains that getting under the same garment is the hachana for, for the merging of the two to become one entity. Hachana means preparation. In a physical intimacy, we know that in Judaism, it is required that the yichud and the zivog, as you can explain in a minute, the, the intimacy should be under a blanket. And one is, may not engage in any physical intimacy uncovered. It has to be under a blanket. So simply you learn. It's just a matter of tzniyas. It's a matter of modesty. God is everywhere. You have to have modesty. You have to have your shemayim. And for that reason, one... But really, as the, as the Mittler Rebbe explains, it's much deeper than that. The reason why there has to be a blanket covering is because... The two, bo- the two people are two bodies. They're two beings. As long as they're not under a blanket, which it's open, there's always two. The whole point of the intimacy is that the two become one. So like this, it remains two. But if there's one blanket covering them, that covering turns them into one. Now they're one. They're not two. That's explaining why the way we become one with God is that we both have to go under one blanket. So initially when a person is learning Torah, God is under the blanket, but deep inside what's taking place, that one covering is causing the yichud of the of the, of the, of the Maybe I can just say one little thought. Maybe that's what it means when he explains in Tanya that there's two elements to learning Torah. When you're learning Torah, first you are under the idea. The thing is makif you. And then the thing enters into you and you're makif it, which means you become totally one with it. 
maybe these are the two stages. There is the yichud that's taking place later, and then there's first being under the ksus, under the makif. That could be. I'm just, it doesn't say that, but and this is the yichud of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the Shekhinah. God is the Kaddish Baruch Hu. Hey, how is this a yichud? We always say, let there be a yichud between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the Shekhinah. How is there a union between Kaddish Baruch Hu is the male element, the Shekhinah is the female? How is there a yichud? Because I'm learning Torah. And the answer is, yeah, because you are a detail of the Shekhinah. Because you're a creation in this world. A being that's part of the creation reality, which is the Shekhinah reality, has now opened up his eyes, his mind, his consciousness, to receive God's truth and melt into God's MS and God's truth. You, you've, as we said before, you have be, become one with HaKadosh Baruch without exiting the Shekhinah, because you're still alive, you're still in a body, you're still in the physical world, and yet you've drawn, if you can't leave the creation, then you have no other choice but bring God into the creation. You bring HaKadosh Baruch into the Shekhinah. This is the Yichud. Now, and now he's proving that the way this yichud happens is by being covered in one blanket. It says, when there is a yichud between Zuchra and Nukva, between male and female, which the Zohar is talking about, between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the Shekhinah, it's covered up. It's not done in the open. As we said before, halachically, there has to be a kisoy, there has to be a cover. Why? Up Spiritually, it's also that way. See, every halacha that we have in the physical is a is a is derived from the spiritual and godly dynamics. So if it's this is the way it is above, that's the way it has to be done down here. So above it says also whenever there's a yichud between Hakadosh Baruch Hu and the Shechina, it's not public. Why? Shahamalachim mechasem hayichud, the angels cover up this yichud. The angels cover up this unity. Begatfin with their wings. The angels cover cover up the unity with their wings. This is this idea that we're learning over here of this. And he brings that there was a cover. The and this cover, this cover that's coming from the angels, which are covering up the Yichud of Akadish Barhu and Shekhinah. He gets a little Kabbalistic, which is a little hard to get. This whole next piece, but let's see, maybe Hashem will help. Hashem will for sure help. The Kisu is Nimshach, and this cover is drawn. See, till now, the piece that we learned earlier is really what we had discussed earlier in the Mimer. But now he's giving more the Kabbalistic undertones of what, what's happening. And this cover is Nimshach Mepchenas Abba Ve'ima from father and mother. It says that the Kisoy, the cover, which covers the Ze'er Anpin and Malchus, which is the Shechina and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, during their intimacy, is coming, it's, it's covered by the wings of the Malachim, but the Shoresh of it, everything has a spiritual Shoresh, a higher root. The root of it is from father and mother, which means from Chachma and Bina, which are higher than HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Shechina. So from Abanim it says from the Chitzainius. The Chitzainius of Chachma and Bina provide the garment, which that garment is what covers up both Ze'er Anpin and Malchus for this Yichud. 
We said before that the way we become unified with God is by going under the same cover. The, the cover that we're going under is coming from Chachma and Bina. Now it makes sense perfectly with what we learned earlier. Because it's the Torah, which is Chachma and Bina, which is Amshacha from Chachma, which is the Torah. Which is, that's the blanket in which God is going into, that's HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the Shekhinah, that's the Neshama. So we're both going under that same blanket of a blanket that's coming from Chachma Bina. But what is the idea that it's being covered by the wings of the Malachim? What, 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 what did the wings of the Malachim have to do with this? And what are these angels? Is it? It's really, but they're sure. I understand that it's from Abba and Ema. I understand. As we said before, it's coming from Torah. We'll see in a minute. Both of them, the male element and female element, for both, HaKadosh Baruch Hu receive one makif, that helps them, which is for the sake to bring them together, as we said earlier. Same as also when someone learns Torah. You get a supernal makif. So you're not realizing it. This is all taking place without a person even having any clue. A blanket is being drawn from God. A cloud, so to speak, that is covering up shemakiv gamis nafshoi. It's being it's 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 encompassing one's nefesh lehiskalel to become absorbed and included bepchenas oirin soif into the oirin soif bepchenas yichud for the two to become unified al yedei makiv echad through one makiv hakoyel beizapchenos. That includes within it both Hakadosh Baruch Hu and the Neshama, and they're both going under this one makif, and that's happening when you're learning Torah. Okay, now, what does it have to do with the angels, with the Malachim, and um, their wings? So, when it the way it appears like from the Mittler Rebbe's Mimer, that I managed literally just to glance over twenty minutes before the class began. So it sounds like from the Mitla Rebbe's Mimer that the, the makif of the malachim's wings, which malachim are these? So these are the birude noga. These are the birudim that, we, that come from below. In other words, um, when we're learning Torah, Again, this he doesn't say clearly, but I, I, I'm deducing it from what he's saying. When you're learning Torah, aside for the spiritual light that's in the Torah, there is also a certain birer from below that's happening. Birer means a certain purification that's happening from the physical, earthy, unholy elements of creation. And the birer is happening on, on many levels, but let's just speak of a few of them. Number one, the very energy it takes to study and to learn requires that you use your physical brain. Physicality is all part of the klipa world, of the unholy world, until you make it holy. So you are taking pieces of energy, so to speak, from them in order to think, in order to study. Especially since we learn in Tanya that when you're learning, it is insufficient to just think. You're supposed to, you're supposed to verbalize it. 
And in order to speak, you definitely have to do a physical activity of moving your muscles, your jaws, which that burns calories. You're actually burning. You're actually consuming physical energy, and that physical energy is becoming part of a mitzvah. What that is doing, it's taking the fallen sparks that have fallen into this world, which is in every physical element, and whenever you take any physicality and you dedicate it to God, to a godly pursuit, that means the spark that's in it is now being elevated. That becomes an angel, and that becomes the wings of these angels that rise up to cover the yichud. So the yichud is really beginning momata lamaila. There is there is a there is some element from below that's 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 covering. It's that's that's number one. Also, and like it explains in Tanya that really the the ability to be able to move your jaws and to speak and to words comes from the food you ate the day before, so that you're elevating that as well. And that, you know, so all that is being... But besides that, the very idea that the Torah is discussing, most of the time, the Torah discusses um, subject matter of the, of the physical world, it's doing a purification in those elements that it's discussing. That it's discussing. So there's also a purification. So that, there too, there's an alias nitzutzis. So these alias nitzutzes are what, are what these angels are, which these angels serve as the, the, the uh, cover, the concealer, that conceals and, 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 um, and um, brings the garment. Now what it seems a little bit later in the, in the Mitla Rebbe's Mimer is that, because there really needs to be two garments over here. What do you need two? I mean, he says the Shoresh is from... from if this is coming from the Malachim from below, from the Berurim Noga that we're doing from below, so how does it say, and it shorishes from Chachman Bino, which is something from above? So, which way? So, it seems like, from, again, I don't have clarity in it, and I'm not, not pretending to have clarity, but just could be, this is what he seems to be saying a little bit, is that there is two garments that are necessary. Um, the Shekhinah, the Jewish people, the Rishama, has to bring its garment because eventually the two garments become one garment. But we have to, we have to enter them with a garment because if we're going to come into this unity without a garment, then God forbid the Neshama can, can, can get burnt up by the light. So we need a garment. Like it says, Bechlal, it says that all the mitzvahs we do is considered a garment to protect the Neshama in Gan Eden not to get burnt from the intense rays of godliness. So we need to have a garment. Every mitzvah is a garment. Similar to that. So this is the idea where it says, Vatilbash Esther, that Esther dressed herself, Malchus. Esther is the neshama that's coming before the king, coming before Achashverosh. It says particularly that she dresses herself with royal garments to be able to come into that unity. So what, what would be these garments? These are the elevated sparks that we elevate through our avoda, that these become the garments to shield the neshama as it's coming into the unity. That's us going into a garment. God on His part, because we're dealing with infinite light, on His part also takes on a garment so that His light is not too intense. We need a light so that we can handle the intense light coming from above. God needs a garment in order to block His light from burning up the, His bride, so to speak. So 
these are two different garments, one coming from above, the other one coming from below. Somehow the garments converge together to become one garment, which beneath, beneath the two is God and the soul, not clothed, kind of, becoming one in that unity. But under these, under the garment, which initially covers them both, which is a garment from above and a garment from below. Yeah, but what are the mitzvahs? Mitzvahs are, what's the, what are the mitzvahs? The mitzvahs are, through mitzvahs we elevate, we do bidurim. We take the sparks out of the gashmias, and we elevate, that's the malachim that become to cover the yichud. Again, the idea is not at all clear in my mind, but it's just, it was very foggy, but that's what it seemed like from that mimer. Why, how you have, one second, how you have these two garments. One, he says, is the malachim, yichud zon shah malachim, cover up the yichud with the gatvin, and then he says, So here it seems like that the malachim's garment comes from the garment of Chachmambina. But in the middle of Rebbe's Maimur, he seems to be saying that there are two garments coming from two directions. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yes. But one talks about them before one has acted on them, thereby lifting the Greek cult up. And by the way, talking about them requires Chachmambina to put into words. When you put things into words, you have to use your Chachmambina. Yeah. Okay? So, um, and then to that process, the Greek cult lift up off the Nidot, okay? Uh, and those blankets. Because really, because really, it's the very things that conceal and cover God that once you elevate them, become instead of a concealer, become a conveyor. So you 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 begin with things that are here to to block and to conceal, but they put put the use in the right way are the actual blankets that are necessary for the yichud. So that makes sense because you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, yeah. Thank you. Okay. Um, then, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the mitzvah creates these malachim, which are these wings. Yeah, yeah. I got that, yeah. 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 The ato, okay. I, Okay, I, I really feel that the next piece we're going to learn over here is just super Kabbalistic. Uh, okay, let's learn it.
Va'ata novay labir. I don't think it's okay, but uh, now we'll come to the explanation of where it says levushe his garment ketelak chiver like white snow. Isa bezoar. It says in Zohar. Well, let me make an introduction from. In, in the earlier in the Mimer, earlier in the discourse, in order to explain this idea that Torah is God's garment, where God vests himself in, he brings the idea of Ota or Kasalma, that Hashem garbs himself in light. But he also brings the Pasuk, which it says in um, Daniel. Um, Sa'areshe, the head of his, it says, Levushe, his garment, Ketelek Chiver, like white snow. And um, Sa'areshe, and the, the head of his, and the hair of his head, Ka'amer Naka, like clean wool. And it describes God had like his hair wool and white wool, and his garment is like white snow. So he uses that description that the, the, um, why the, why the snow? So he says that helps us understand how the Torah, even though we understand that the Torah originates as divine God wisdom, so the Torah is infinitely high. And the Torah in its godly state is utterly incomprehensible to any 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 being, even a celestial being. It says the Pasik says, Elohim Haven Dark, only God knows it. So that's the Torah in its original Chachma, in its original state. Then the Torah travels down here and takes on, a, it gets incarnated in physical, physical ideas. It becomes a Torah that humans can, can read. So, and, and in order for that to happen, it has to descend and descend and descend and descend and contract and contract and contract. A gazillion contractions for it to like descend to a place where human beings can able to comprehend and grasp it. So we might kind of think that in this process, in this descent, it it's metamorphosized and it loses its godly quality. You can't say the Ain Sof is still enclosed in it after it has changed so much for it to become uh, consumable or comprehensible in a human mind. So that's why the Mashal is given that his garment is like snow. What's the idea of snow? Snow originates as water. Snow is water. Problem is water is fluidy, so you can't really grab grab it and take it because it's 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 a liquid. When snow gets hard, it becomes ice, and then you can actually grab it. You can't pick up water unless you have a vessel for it. But like this, water itself you can't pick up. But once it turns into frozen, it congeals, becomes hard ice. Snow is not just ice. The ice is one chunk of ice. Snow is when it freezes each. Each, the rain drops. Each, the drops of rain freeze and each individual one becomes a drop of snow. But when it freezes, which means, and that which gives you an ability to like have more of an achiz on it, to take it, to grab it, but it doesn't take much to melt. In other words, when it, once it warms up a little bit, it melts back into the water. So he says that's exactly what happens. When the Torah is in its utterly divine state, it's water. It's called Yam. Chachma is symbolic with water. Chachma is divine wisdom. It's Yam, it's water. Then it comes, it's Hanosin Sheleg. God turns it into Sheleg, into snow, for it, that's the Gevura, 
Gavur is associated with Safon, with the north, with cold. Darom, the south, is hot, that's Chesed. And uh, so when it gets northern, the northern cold, the frost, that's the Gvura. The Gvura c- contracts the wisdom, hides it, conceals the wisdom, to the point where it gets more and more, till the Torah becomes tangible, to the point that a person is able to, 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 to take hold of it. A human mind can grab. But here's the thing. If the person learns with the desire, particularly with the warmth of his neshama, and the desire with the fire of his soul, he melts after the Torah enters into his into his neshama, he melts it, he defrosts it, and it becomes water again, which means it reverts back to the infinite light. But now the infinite light is inside his neshama. And the mashal that he's going to give soon is more like a teacher teaching a student where the teacher has this like very abstract, sharp idea. And it's just, it doesn't really have words, it's just... But then in order to explain it, he has to put it into, into words and into, which are far more stiff, kind of. It's, it's, it's giving it, or especially if he has to use metaphors. So that's really congealing it. But then when the student studies it and learns it, he can undo and discard those metaphors and discard those long discussions and get that, that abstraction. And that melts in his neshama. Yes? Yeah, yeah, okay. that's right. So the plays makot in reverse order, the corresponding makah for is it's our the hail. The hail. Okay. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got. And fire warms it back up. That's yeah. very interesting association. Yeah, I like that. Okay, Acha So let's see. So this idea is where he is now going to exp- the in the. In the original discourse, it is, it is in the snow state. Over here, he tries to give it to us in the water state. So it makes, <laughs> it's, he's, he's melting it back into its Kabbalistic, it's hard. Okay. It says in Zohar, that the 13 strands of the beard, is also sometimes called the um, a garment that's made out of white snow. That's of white snow. So which one is it? Is it strands of hair? Or is it um, or is it a garment? Acheemes, a garment made of snow. Acheemes, the truth is, the main garment is something called chashmal. Chashmal is always, it says when in the in, in Yechaskel, when he discusses the Chayot HaKodesh, and, and around them he says there was a Noga, Saviv, Ke'en, and there's a look, it seems like a chashmal. Chashmal, we, we, in Hebrew, chashmal is, is electricity. Uh, a chashmal is a an element of a kisoy. It serves as a as a garment, as some kind of a concealer that conceals between levels, as we're going to see soon. Veloy ha chashmal, but the chashmal that we're talking about over here 
is not the chashmal ha-mafsik bein atzilus between the world of emanation to the three lower worlds, Bria, Yetzir, and Asiya, where it discusses there is a chashmal. Kizehu mechitzayni is bina. Because this comes from the external element of bina. That's where it comes from. Vuhu binoga. And it really is, the chashmal itself is in the klipa in noga. Its origination is in the chitzonius of bina, but it itself is in noga. Um, that's related to the shattering of the vessels. Which means it's a concealment already that is some element of klipa. It's surround, it's disconnecting and creating this, this um, not disconnect, creating the uh, barrier, the uh, partition between atzilus, between divine and creation. And that's not what he's talking about. Elohu ha-chashmala elyon. It is the higher chashmal. Ha-makiv kola atzilus that surrounds all of Atsilas, it's surrounding not just Bibriya, it's surrounding even Atsilas. The Hainu Shehislapshus Gvura Da'atik B'moyach Stimo This enables that the Gvura of Atik, which is the innermost of the crown, should be able to enclose itself in the Moach Stimo, in the concealed level of Moach, which is the Moach of Erech Anpin, is through this makif. Orain Sof is associated, in its pure state, is associated with the innermost of Keser called Atik Yomen. Gevura of Atik Yomen is the ability of Atik Yomen to contract, to be able to enter, that's the Orain Sof, to be able to enter into the Levush of Torah, into the garment of Torah. Now Torah comes from Chachma. But in Chachma itself, there's two levels. There's Chachma, revealed Chachma, that's the Chachma of Atzilut, the attribute of Chachma. And then there is the Chachma of Keser, which is called Chachma Stima, the concealed Chachma. Chachma in its pre-potential, in a very, very, very concealed state in the Ein Sof. In order for the Or Ein Sof itself to be mislabesh, to be enclosed itself in moyach stima. See, moyach stima is already, already a powerful contracted state because it's already called moach. Moach means, by definition, means it's an or pnimi, it's an internalizing light, as opposed to the orange soul, which is a makif, an unrestricted energy. Moach is already, even though we're talking about over here of moach stima, it's the moach that's still in keter, so we're talking about Ein Sof. And the Mo- but still, in compared to Atik Yomen, this is already considered Olamot. It's considered worlds. Between the two, between the Gevura and Atik Yomen, in order for the Orange Sof that's in Atik Yomen, coming through Gevura of Atik Yomen, contracting through the Gevura, to enter Moach Stima, there is a Chashmal. That Chashmal is the garment the snow, in its, in its quintessential beginnings. Um, and he brings over here, There is a masach, there is a partition between world and world. Between primordial man called Adam Kadmon and the world of Atsilus, 
there too there is a masach. So you see there is a chashmal above atzilut. Above the world of atzilus. Masach, there is a partition. V'chein beinu atzilus lebriya. Between atzilus and bria there is another. V'kol ha-mesachim nikra makifim. And all these partitions are called makif. And as we learned earlier, you're learning Torah, you're learning something that's encompassing your mind, and yet that's a garment. That's a, that's a masach. Okay. V'inei aramaz, reish parshas emar, Ramosha Zakusi, in the beginning of Parshas Emma, Dafpech Esam Ebez, Gabba Keshem and Atoval Aroish Kosa, Shegam Keser Arech, that even Keser of Arech, Nechshav Maolam Ainsof. The Keter of Arech, in Keser itself, there is two, there's two parts. There is the Chitonius of Keser called Erech, Arech, Pnimius of Keser called Atik. Called Atik. So, Generally, we say that Atik Yoman is the end of the Ensof. Ayrach Anpin is already the beginning and the Shoresh of emanations of Netzalim, of the actual Sfirot, which are already. However, in Erech Anpin itself, it says in Ramaz that the Keser of Erech Anpin is really still considered Ensof. Meaning, even though it's not Atik Yoman, it's already Erech Anpin, but since it's the Keser of it, it's Ensof. Now, but Chachmestima, which is the next level, because after Kesar comes Chachma. The Chachma of Erech Anpin, that's already what? Considered Olamot world. So the gap now that exists between Kesar of Erech Anpin and Chachma is an infinite gap. That gap to be bridged needs to be a Masach. Nothing can pass. Energy cannot pass. Life flow cannot pass from the Kesar of a to there without that masach, or else it would burn the entire system. So there is a masach. The ikreshel atzilus, and the main element of atzilus, maschil mimoyach stima, begins from moach stima, shehi chachma da'arech, which is chachma at kalashayim. The im kain comes out, inyan eslapshes gvura da'atek b'moyach stima. Now, if we're saying that the gvura of atik yomen, which is even higher than keser of, of arach, is, is enclosing itself in, in, in the Moach Stimah, who in Yanam Shacha, what it really means is Ma'orein Saif. It means drawing down from the Orein Saif, Beresha Sa'atzilus, bringing stuff that, bringing light down into the beginning of Atzilus. Va'al Kain, therefore, Islap Shazu, who Ayade Makif is through this Makif, Umasachanal, and this partition. And what is that? It's possible that this is the kruma, the avira, a krum. Krum is considered a, a kind of a tissue. A, but avira, it says it's, a, it's made of air. So I think it means between the skull and the brain. There's the brain, there's the skull. So the skull, with the brain is considered the mayach stima. The skull is the is still the, the, the Kesser element, the Ainsov. And between them, there's that avir, that ear, that space. And, and some kind of whatever, whatever's fills, I don't know, whatever is between the brain and the, and the uh, akrum. Akrum is a, a um, there's a, under the brain, there's another layer. Not under the brain, under the skull. There's a softer, um, 
and that's called a krum. I don't know what it is and how you translate that in English. A um, it means okay. Anyways, I'm beitzchayin sharechaberzan. Shazayin rekiah. This is the idea of the firmament. Hamavdil bein mayim lemayim. That's separating between water and water. That's exactly what it is. He's learning now. The upper waters is when it's still the when it's in Atik Yomen. It's the pure pleasure of God. That's the Torah. It's the waters above. When it goes down into Moach Stima, it melts again. It becomes water again. In the middle is the snow state, and that's the congealing state. In order to allow this transition to happen, from it to descend from that which is utterly pure Ein Sof into even an idea of Chachma, of God, that too is an infinite journey. And from there we'll also understand the idea. He explains early in the Mimer, which we didn't get to speak about today, when he was speaking about the greatness of Torah study, in which one is plugging into God's mind, and God himself is inside He's brought a pasuk which it said, "Salsala uteromemucha, comet, and it will raise you up." Comet. So he explained one of the most beautiful is that he went on to explain that every halacha from Hashem, every every teaching of Torah, especially the halachot, the laws are expressions of the Ein Sof wisdom. But if it's coming down in one little detail of a halacha and the laws of lulav, if, that if, it's the, if the lulav's leaf is separated by, by so much, it's pasul. But if it's only by this, it's kosher. So that little halacha, what is it really? It's God's infinite wisdom that all the worlds are dependent on that one little tiny thing. It's all in that tiny halacha. So he explained that's like the hair that come. You got the brain and you have little hairs. So each hair, every hair, a hair is really a tube which inside of it runs, runs energy. But here too you see interesting, between the brain and the hair you also have the skull. And in order for, the, for it, in order for brain life, which is human life, to become vegetation, what's, once it goes into the hair, what is it? It's, it's not like the rest of the body. The rest of the body is alive. Here is also alive, but its power of life is only in its vegetation. It just can grow. There's no feeling in it. There's no, there's no movement in it. It's just, it's dead, but it's still... In order for it to go from one into the other, it has to go through the skull, which is kind of... But, and then he continued and he explained, and that's what every halacha is. But what happens in, when you're learning Talmud, what are you really doing? You have a big mumble-jumble of a bunch of laws. And they contradict each other. And the Talmud says, well, here it says so. And here it says so. So how are you going to resolve? It's a contradiction. So what do you do? So the Talmud starts to, this could be talking in this case. And this is talking in this case, so it's not a contradiction. Or this is going according to one sage. It's going according to the other sage. So he says, really what's going on over here is that God's here got tangled. And our job is to comb Hashem's hair. Which means you're, the, you're, you're separating the halachos. 
you're defining. This is talking in this case. This is talking. So people who are studying Torah are engaged in combing Hashem's hair, which means these halachot and clarifying them. So the Pasuk says, Salsala, comb it, uteroma mucha, and it's going to elevate your soul. Because by doing this, it's elevating your soul to become completely merged through the halachot. You're going through this little tiny narrow channel, which is really rooted in the Ein Sof wisdom, even beyond wisdom, the Or Ein Sof, literally. And your neshama is now going from, the, from within the world, from within creation, and unifying with the Or Ein Sof through that. Okay. So now he says, which we said earlier, the Inyan the idea of this elevation is that you're actually going higher, because the Pasuk says two things. The Pasuk says, his garment is like white snow, and the hair of his head is like white white uh, wool. What's the, what, what are the two things? Both of them are referring to Torah, but there's a difference. The Torah, the Torah as God's, the Torah as the wisdom of Hashem, the Chachmah of the Torah, the wisdom of the Torah, that's the garment. Hashem is enclosing himself in Chachmah. But the Orient Sof itself, the infinite light, not the wisdom, that's enclosed in every halacha, that's like, that's like a strand of hair. Because it's interesting. On the one hand, what's deeper in a person? Their clothing or their hair? Your clothing, on the one hand, your entire you is inside your clothing. But on the other hand, your clothing is not you. And the clothing is, you can, after a while, discard your clothing and buy new clothing. that are not you. But here you can also cut, but the hair is still, it's still an extension of you. So that's the difference. In the Levush, there is the Chachma of the Torah, which is the garment. And then there is the orange Sof that is actually coming through every halacha. So that's not the, the chachma, that's the will of God and the, the expressed in every halacha, right? Um, now, when a person is combing the halachas, which means, so then what you're doing is you're being, and I'm not exactly clear how this works, you're, you're being elevated from the garment into the hair and into the source of the hair. The Pchenes Madrege Sareish, the Hainu, and explains, The hair of his head is from, it's coming from the skull. The hair comes from the skull. You see, the garment, the garment is the ear that's under the skull, between the skull and the brain. There's the brain. Then there is the then there is the then there's the skull, and then in between is a crum. A membrane. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, is a th- is a membrane. So the membrane is considered a masach and int- a, a a intermediate, and above that is the skull itself, where the hair comes from. So this is from. That's be, that's related to the to the to the that which the masach which is that 
mediator that mediates between the Ein Sof and the Moach Stima. This is related to the skull itself. Again, to say that I know what he's talking about, absolutely not, but okay. Valzeman, yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, the halacha and the, which is, because ultimately it boils down to, there's a lot of wisdom, but ultimately it boils down to, well, this is just the way God wants it to be. You can have a lot of svara back and forth in, 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 in how do you derive it, how do you learn it out from. So could be that's what he means. I'm not exactly sure. It, it's the halach. Are we, it seems like the here strands of here are only the final halacha, like the 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 uh, as opposed to the what we call in the Talmud, the Gemara, you'll call it the shakla vitaria. Shakla vitaria is the whole back and forth. Again, I'm trying to. It's not clear. My At least in my. Yeah. The halakha is like the hair, which is closer. Yes. Because it's about the movements of the physical body through the world. Yeah. Which that gets back to the uniting of a new being within Hashem under a blanket. Yeah. Yeah. And this it says, Okay, now he goes back to a part. Okay, so now from now on, the mimer gets a little bit more understandable. And this it says, No, I told you earlier that this whole piece is very, uh, very, very, very Kabbalistic and very up there. That his garment is like white snow. Just like snow. Its beginning is made from water. And then it congeals and it becomes snow. Then it gets, it remelts. And then it melts again and it becomes water again. And this is what it says in, in Sefer Yetzirah, I think. It's wisdom at the beginning and wisdom at the end. And in the middle it's congealed. Well, Derech Mashal, he gives an example. Kamei Mishle Shlomo. Shlomo Melech, the wisest of all men, would give a mashal, would give an analogy. So again, what happens is you're putting it into something that is like congealing it. Or like a teacher who explains a seichel to a student. Alpi Mashal, using a metaphor. When the student gets to the understanding of his teacher, the mashal zeh in this parable or in this metaphor, and he understands the, the idea itself, so now it becomes by him also wisdom, like it was by the teacher. It becomes by him again chachma. In the middle, he, he, it has to take on a more tangible form. Niglad v'nikrash, it got congealed. 
In its abstract state, the student was not able to wrap his mind around it. As it is on its own, in the mind of the teacher. He needs to give it to him through a mashal. So this supernal garment, which is this snow, that gets congealed, and the essence of the chachma becomes hardened, for it not to reveal itself, as it is on itself. Only afterwards, it melts, it becomes water, it becomes the wisdom by the creations, which means it melts back into godly wisdom in the person's neshama, even though you're not consciously aware of it. And this it says, God throws his frost. Hashem casts his frost. Like pieces, which causes, which causes things to become like pieces. But then it says, Who can stand in front of his frost? Those are the Hegevuros of Atik, which, are, which cause such a congealing of it. Then what does it say? Yashav Rucha, who blows his wind and it warms up. Yizlumayim, the waters are again are flowing. So this is not just referring to a natural phenomenon in this world. This is referring to the entire flow of Torah into the world. And then what does it say? Right after this thing, how do you know this is referring to Torah? It says the next words, Magid Dvarav Yaakov. He, he, he relates his words to Yaakov. Chukav HaMushpat of Yisrael. What's the connection? Of congealing, making it cold, making water run, and then Magidavar of Yaakov. What does one do with the other? And the answer is that's the way Torah comes down. Magid Hagada means he draws down. Magid, in order to draw down the var of his words, Liyakov. Yaakov is referring to the soul when it's, when it's in a body. Yud Ekev, the neshama that's a yud, the piece of God. Ekev that comes down in a heel. How does God bring us the Torah down into our physical bodies down here? How? Only because he first first freezes it, then it comes down in a frozen state, then we learn it and we warm it back up, if we're learning it appropriately, and that warmth and that fire of love that a Yid has, because a Jew is supposed to learn Torah with love, with passion, with fervor, with excitement, and when you're learning that way, then you're getting back the water of it and it's melting. Uh, it becomes like ice. It's the same thing with snow. The difference between ice and snow is that ice is one piece, but snow becomes congealed pieces, I mean, drop, drop. In order for it to send, in order for something to descend down lower, it has to. Just like if you want to bring an idea out to people, you have to divide it into sentences and words. And, and initially in your head, it's just one thought. But when you're trying to reveal it, you have to break it into pieces. So the same is also, that's the idea of it coming into little pieces of snow. That's why rain is also called gevura. Because if rain would come as is, it can come like the storm that's happening. It can be a deluge. So instead it comes and drops, and that's God's kindness. So we should be able to receive it, or else. It come, even though chesed is just a pouring. If it would be just kindness, then God would just pour, and then it would pour like a, a marble. 
So, but then Hashem adds the Gevura, and the Gevura adds as a strainer, and it strains it back, allowing it to break down. It's funny, we're learning it tonight. It should be a protection for everybody, for all those who need a protection. It shouldn't be a Mabel. So too, the 13 strands of the beard. It's also the same idea of it being broken down. They hear because the ray that comes down through the hair, which every hair is a is is a hollow tube, the hair is also like a, each hair is like a garment to the light to the energy that's flowing through it. And they're also separate. Each halacha, each in a manner of snow, but that white hair. Why they're white here? To show that even though it's gevura, it's like there's so much God is holding back the light to make it each little these like every law in the Torah is cosmic, it's unbelievable. But it comes down into it seems to be such minutia and such little like oh, so this that, but it's all unbelievably godly, right? So that's what the idea that it's white here. White is the color of chesed. It's showing that even the gevura is really only a chesed. It's a kindness of God, or else we wouldn't be able to handle it. So even though it's here, it's white here. That's why by Matan Torah, it says God appeared like an old man with a white hair. Because the Torah was coming down through the strands of hair. And, and, and snow is even has a certain intense whiteness even more than white wool. Why he's adding that, I'm not exactly sure. And so it's chesed, it's white. It's also water. Water descends from a high place to a low place. But it's coming down in a contracted way. It's God is crumbing, making it into crumbs, so that we can, just like when you want to feed a little a little bird or something, you can only give it crumbs. You can't give it a whole big chunk. You give it little crumbs. A baby to be spent. So Hashem is feeding us like a little child, giving us little crumbs. Now from the lavush, from the garment being of white snow. Comes the next stage. The hair of his head is like white wool. The general garment, Torah, like we said, the wisdom of Torah, that's the garment. The general ideas of Torah. But each individual halacha is like a strand of hair. Even though you can ask, well, snow is also each individual piece of snow. So you see that there is some difference here. I feel, I feel like you, know, you can sense that there's something that's here that I'm not getting. I don't know what it is. But you see that he's differentiating. That this, there's the garment, and then there is the hair. But, but you and I, simply you can say that the garment is like one piece. And the, and the, and the hair is like individual halachas. Can't say that because by the snow he was also explaining how it's already broken down into tiny individual pieces of snow. So what more are we getting in the here? I'm not exactly clear. 
Yeah, I know that. But what exactly, what's the mushal that we need? We need a metaphor. The metaphor is different. So obviously we're dealing with two levels, which are not exactly clear in what he is defining these two, these two, these two differences. These are the specific halacha in the physical. It's interesting, since it's Yom Kippur, Maimer, he gives the example of the tractate of Yuma, which deals about Yom Kippur. The entire um, tumult of the Kohen Gadol, the entire commotion of the Kohen Gadol. That you take the Kohen Gadol and for seven days he has to be sequestered. And he can't live, he has to live in the base of Migdash. He doesn't go home to his wife, he stays alone in the base of Migdash. And afterwards the Kohen Gadol goes into the Holy of Holies. It was only once a year. And he needed to go to the mikvah five times during the day. And he needed to wash his hands and feet ten times from the base. And what is the big, and what is this all? You're making go, what are you doing? Think about this. This, take the holiest man of the Jewish people. Separate him from everybody for seven days. He goes into the holy of holies. He's doing, he's like, whoa, he's, he's toiling in a mikvah. You're talking about purity, purity, purity. You think it's like, wow, who knows what he's going to do over there? You would think that he's walking in and he's going to pronounce deep mystical meditations and who knows what. Guess what he does when he gets in there? takes a cup of blood from a cow and he sprinkles it one time up and seven times down. So hold it. For this you needed the Kohen Gadol, the holiest man, sequestered from the whole people, toiling five times in the mikveh, in the Beis HaMikdash, sanctifying them. You never find such holiness. For what? To sprinkle blood? Anybody can sprinkle blood. A cow. The cow was eating grass. This cow was no different than any other cow. This cow was a cow like any cow that's out there. I'm sorry to speak about cows, but my daughter was telling me the other day that that the Governor Brown now is is cutting the dairy soon bottles of milk. I just want everybody to be aware that your milk and your all your dairy products are going to shoot up like crazy because Governor Brown is now going to cutting the milk the the dairy production in California to half. Why? Because they found out, <laughs> this is crazy, that the cows cause more, um, not pollution, uh, more destruction of the ozone layer and this than all the, the cars. <laughs> the cows, they realize that in New Zealand, because they have so many sheep, so until now they're thinking it's like man is causing it, but it's cows. It's from their burping and whatever else they do. This is what's causing this, this, this stuff in the air that's causing worse than all the that is as I does. So this is a cow. This was a cow. So my daughter told me this. I I had a thought of chuva when I heard it. What was my thought of chuva? I said Governor Brown is now gonna cut half the cows because someone who's contributing to society more burps and whatever else he's doing than he is Productive and he's causing more damage. So you know what, what, what's he needed for? So I thought to myself, a person has to think, like, what am I contributing to this world? Am I more? I'm walking around just grepsing around and doing that. What am I needed here? So you have to make yourself that you should. Yeah. 
in any case, back to the mimer. This is a cow like any other cow. And this physical cloud with this physical blood is being sprinkled in the Holy of Holies. And guess what? The atonement of all the Jewish people and the rectification of the cosmos of all blemishes that were done by all sin is cleaned by these seven sprinkles of this cow that was just taken off the farm. This is absolutely divine. In other words, it doesn't have any, you can't explain it rationally from any kind of logical place. How this little movement of sprinkling the blood seven times can have such a tikkun in the entire, can, can reboot the entire system and clean everything from all sin. That makes no sense. But that's the way it is. Midamas par, midamas and he sprinkles with his finger one time up seven town. And he counts one, one. This power that there is in the physicality going back to what you mentioned about the halacha being engaged in the physical. This power that there is in the physicality, this potency, dama par of the blood of the cow, the asayr and the goat, that this should touch to drawing the infinite light down into the universe. This can only come through here. To be able to translate such a godly idea, whatever it, is, whatever it means, obviously we understand that the blood of the bull, of a cow, in its origins, what it means up there, is something infinite, something endlessly holy. It's touching God in the deepest place. Yet, it's translated down here into a what? A physical action with a cup of blood spritzed by a finger. So obviously, for in order to, for that halacha to journey into its physical incarnation and to take a form of this, can only come through a here. Meaning God has to squeeze this down and contract it so much to be able to give us this formula in the physical that contains within it all this, all this infinite wisdom. Shehem hamshachas mitzum tzemes. This is a very, very narrow hamshacha. That's what the truth is. That's what we were saying earlier. It's the halacha in its practical observance, not just the concept in Torah. The sheleg, the, 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 the snow, was the garment. We're talking about the concepts in the world of concepts. But the halacha means that this is actually going to be actualized. Each halacha, this is a tzimtzum tzimtzum nifla, an incredible tzimtzum of, of godly energy to come down. Ach, but, gamkin, ach, hainu dafka ayadei bitl umasiris nefesh. But here's the thing. These halachos that were taught, see, he's not, interesting, he's not yet talking about doing them. Later he's talking about doing the mitzvahs. He's talking about learning Masech Yuma and 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 or the Tanoim who revealed these halachot. Okay? The only way they were able to reveal, be channels for these halachos, for these godly ideas, is when they learned with self-effacement. If they learned because and they were in touch with their own importance, and their learning was about their own importance, then they would have never have connected. They would have never been able to be a channel through which it only comes through this uh, through this as he says, through Bittel and Mesiris Nefesh. 
And the Tanoim, when they learned, they learned with total self. They learned with this desire that we spoke earlier about, the life of pain you should live, and they just wanted to be, be conduits for, for, for Hashem's Chachma to come through them. And that's how the Tanoim studied, the authors of the Mishnah. And all the study of Reb Shimon Bar Yochai, we find, you imagine, Reb Shimon Bar Yochai was the author of Zohar. Yet most of the time he occupied himself not with the mysteries of the, of the mystical side of Torah. He was a Tana, and he, he, was, and he taught Halacha. Hoya benigla. Most of his learning was in the revealed part of the Torah. Chav, and like, why is he busying himself? And the answer is because he knows that these are not just halachas. He knows that there's great godly secrets over here. And when he's learning it, he's not even learning it as him learning it. He's just channeling. Chav dalit kushis v'chav dalit perukim. The Gemara describes how Rav Shemim Yochai used to first ask 24 questions, then he had 24 answers. You'd think maybe he learned a little bit of Torah, the revealed part of Torah. No, you find him in every Masechta, in every Perik of Shas, you find Reb Shimon. In every Perik. He's mentioned everywhere. I mean, he really dug into all of, all of, all of, all of Torah law. Fafila Bekelim. Even the laws of Kalim, Ubenegoyim, Vuktsin, and it says that Reb Shimon Bar Yochai and his colleagues don't have to pray. And you say, come on. This is, they, they were potter, they were exempt from prayer. Why? Because they, they were doing something more important, they were learning Torah. And it's, for, it's considered only for people whose Torah is their profession. They're allowed to do that. They don't have to pray. The only thing that he well, potter mitfilah, and he didn't have to daven. Kriyashma they had to say, but not daven. But he said, hold it. When you're praying, you're engaged in the highest love of God, the deep mystical unions. And how could it be that Torah study takes precedence over that? And the answer is, when they studied Torah, it, was, it wasn't them even. When you're praying, it's you praying to God. You're still in your consciousness of a creation, seeking to attach. When you're learning, and you're learning the way they learned with Mesiris Nefesh, they were now on a much higher level because they were conduits, they were channels. The fishakol asik terasa was in this way. like it says, hear these words. My words that I put into your mouth. It's not you speaking. It's me speaking through you. But this type of union with God is only in Torah, not by mitzvahs. Mitzvah is already within the construct of kingdom. Because the whole idea of kingship, of a mitzvah is, the very definition of a mitzvah is a commandment. Commandment must mean that there is a commander and there's a commandee, and they're two different beings. And therefore, it's also bittal. On a mitzvah, you're also surrendering. But you're not surrendering to a point where your existence has become integrated into God. Your surrendering means you're surrendering your ego. You're nullifying your will to God's will. It's God's will. And God's will is now um, 
overriding your will, but you also have a will. And you just that's called bitul hayesh. Your your mavatal, your your a person is mavatal their ego, their I, their 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 self-importance to say, you know what, I gotta now do what Hashem wants of me. But I'm still a me. He's, the whole point of a mitzvah is that you should be somebody for your bottle and you should be nullified. And therefore, that's not pure divine truth. In order for this to happen, here's what happens. In order for you to play along in this game, God garbs himself in a garment, but it's a different kind of a garment. It's a garment of concealment, not a garment of expression. See, the Torah is a garment through which God expresses Himself. In Malchus, God is hiding His truth that He is what? That He is the only reality. That's called, it says, Hashem Malach Geus Lavesh. That for Malchus, God has to garb Himself in a garment. What kind of garment is this? He has to put on a show as if he leaves space for the world to exist and he's the king over it. So that's a garment. So basically when you're learning, to, when you're doing a mitzvah, you have, for a tzaddik, like Rabbi Shimon Bayachai, doing a mitzvah was a descent of consciousness, wasn't an ascent. For us, when we're not doing a mitzvah, we're busy with total narishkeit and stupidity. So when we do a mitzvah, we're actually elevating ourselves and coming closer to God. From a state of self importance and whatever, from a state of separateness, separate consciousness, to a state of bittal. But even when you're doing the mitzvah, you're still a servant in front of your master, but you're still a servant. For Rav Shimon Yochai, when he's learning Torah, and he's doing a new mitzvah, that's why it says that when a person studies Torah and there's a mitzvah to be done, which one comes first? So the answer is an interesting thing. It, matters, it depends. If the mitzvah can be done by someone else, then you should continue studying. If the mitzvah can't be done by someone else, then you have to stop and do the mitzvah. I'm not going to get into exactly why when the mitzvah can't be done, but you have to go do the mitzvah, even though you're learning of Torah, you're in a deeper union with God. Because God's purpose in creation is more realized, is ultimately realized through mitzvahs and not through Torah study. Your desire to cleave to God is higher when you're learning Torah. But God's interest is more realized and more important in when we're in a mitzvah mode. Okay, that's a different subject. But the reason why when the mitzvah could be done by someone else, why you should learn, is because the mitzvah is going to be done anyway. So Hashem's will is going to be taken care of. Now the question is, where are I going to stand? You're better off learning Torah. You're in a more, you're, you're closer to Hashem when you're learning. The nikra b'chines lavush, malchus is called a lavush, k'mai shakas v'ashem malach geyis lavish. That that Hashem dresses himself in order for him to be a king. On who is he a king? Their very substance of the creations and their life force. God is, is their very, he's them, they're him. So what is he a king over? Who can he be a king? Malchus is a concealment. It's a garment. It becomes a garment and a concealment to be a king. Like it says, that Elohim is a is like the sun and the sheath. It's a Malchus is a shield, which is a garment. 
That's why, as we said earlier, when a person is learning Torah, they're not in this garment. Again, this is not the garment that we spoke about before, where you say you go inside the garment and you're together with God. Because it's a garment that's blocking, not a garment of intimacy. It's a whole different idea. It's a garment to block. But then there is that garment of intimacy that we spoke earlier, of coming under the same garment. That is only in Limud Rak, oh. But then the question is, hold it. If the mitzvahs then are much lower than Torah, which means they're, they're less godly than Torah, then how come the Torah is all an explanation of the mitzvahs? The whole Torah study is how to do a mitzvah. How can something higher, much higher, be an explanation of something much lower? That doesn't make any sense. If the mitzvah is, is, is in a much lower state, how can the Torah be occupied with mitzvahs? Usually the thing that's lower serves something that's higher, not the thing that's higher serves something that's lower. And the answer is, he explains like this. In mitzvahs there's two things. There is the actual state of being when you're doing the mitzvah. And then there is the root of the mitzvahs in God's will. The root of mitzvahs is higher than Torah. Because the mitzvah is Hashem's ratzon, God's will. Torah is God's wisdom. And will is much higher than wisdom. So in its source, mitzvahs are higher than Torah. But in its actual, the way it plays out in, in the world, when you're learning Torah, you can be a channel to God. You're still attached, you're one with Him. When you're doing a mitzvah, you have to enter into the actual creation, into worldly existence to do the mitzvah. And the soon going to say, precisely because the mitzvahs are coming from such a high place, they can't express themselves only in a lower form. Because the higher something is, the, the coarser the, its expression needs to be. Like when a person wants to give over a very deep concept, they, they use, use, use a metaphor or sometimes even more. Sometimes the depth of a concept they can only give over with a movement of their body. In other words, they, they're conveying the depth of an idea not even with, 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 with words. They're using physical movement. And it's the nuances of a teacher that can sometimes express the deepest things. That which they don't give over in, 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 their, in their words, they give over in their, in their, in their movements with their body. Because, So the same as also mitzvahs are so deep in the Ein Sof that they can't find it, they don't, they don't have in a garment, so to speak, to express themselves only in a detached state. As opposed to um, Torah, which is not, it's high, but not as high as mitzvah, and therefore it can find an expression. We'll see that in a minute. The mitzvahs come from the Gilgoles, they come from the skull. The Torah is the brain. That's what he says now, because the mitzvahs are higher. They're not able to reveal themselves only in a garment. Which is more chitzonius and makif. Torah, which is the brain. Becomes internalized food. The Torah is inside my stomach, it says, inside my vine. Now, in order for the mitzvahs to come down, practical observance of a mitzvah. 
Just like when you're learning the halacha of Torah about the mitzvah, it's through here. So to the actual mitzvah itself, the holiness and the godliness of the mitzvah also comes through here. And it's interesting, it seems like two levels of here. There is this here of the Torah, which are the study of the laws of the mitzvah. And then there is the, the actual mitzvah itself. And that's what it says, the hair of his head is like white wool. This white hair is what comes down in the Kohen Gadol. Meaning to say, before we spoke about the sages who are revealing these halachas, they're pulling on God's hair. They're channeling their and they have to learn how? how do, in order for them to do that, how do they have to learn? They have to learn Torah in a state of channeling. Without, without a self, without an I. Now he says, in order for the godliness of a mitzvah to come down, that too requires here, and that too requires that it should be done with bittel. Not the same kind of bittel, but also bittel. Like he says, because for instance, the Kohen Gadol, Nikra Kahana Rab is called the big Kohen. Pchenaz Bittel, which is Bittel. Rak Lefisha Zaha Bittel, who Bittel Hayesh. Because the Bittel that we're talking about now is more of a physical Bittel. It's with his body, not intellectually with his mind. So the Bittel is more, as we said earlier, the, the notion of a mitzvah is that there is a commander and there's a commandee. He says, that's why you find an astonishment is such a great thing. You find an amazing difference between mitzvahs and Torah. In mitzvahs we know that the observance of a mitzvah must always be within a certain time and within a certain place. You can't do the Yom Kippur service only on Yom Kippur. That's the only time the Yom Kippur service was valid. Number two, you can't do the Yom Kippur service anywhere in temple this or temple that. It has to be in temple on the Temple Mount in Yerushalayim, in Jerusalem, in one place. That's what. So you're very limited in time and space. Torah, however, you can learn the laws of Yom Kippur on Pesach. You can learn Masech Tassim and you'll have the same godliness. Not only that, the sages say that when someone is learning the laws of a sacrifice, it's as if he, he offered that sacrifice. Now hold it. In order to offer a sacrifice, you have to be a Kohen. More than that, you have to be in the Beis HaMikdash. This guy is learning, he's learning the laws of sacrifices in, uh, I don't know where, wherever, in, in the middle of, I don't know, in, in Alabama. A, a, and yet, what? It's considered as if he offered sacrifices. What do you mean he's offered sacrifices in Alabama? And the answer is, yeah. Why? Because Torah, that's the whole difference. Mitzvahs come from Malchut, from kingship. And Malchus is a source of time and space. Malchus actually creates a world. And in, in creation, every creature has its place and its time. That's the very definitions of creation, time and space. Those are parameters of creation. So therefore, the mitzvah, the mitzvah is limited in time and space because it's coming from the king as the king rules over an empire which the empire is made up of time and space. So it can only be done with time and space. Torah, however, is an energy much higher than Malchus. And over there, it's still pre-creation. 
and there's no. So over there, it's not within that whole limitation of time and space. So therefore, you can actually be channeling all these channels, and it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be a Kohen, you don't have to be over there, because it's not limited in anything, because it's totally above, you're still within the infinite. That's the difference. That's why mitzvahs are dependent in time and space. It can only be done in the Holy of Holies. Even though this is not a Kohen. He's a non-Kohen and he learns Torah by night. It's not a time to offer. Nevertheless, the verse considers it. That's if he offered it at the right time. And it's right. In Torah, you're not a something. Mamish. You're not within creation. And because the main element of Torah is with the desire of the heart, meaning it's not so physical, and the main thing is that a person wants bittel. He wants to ascend from his created limited state to merge with God. In his thought, and in his speech, that his thoughts shouldn't be his thoughts and his speech shouldn't be his. This you can be when you're learning Torah. But in mitzvahs, in addition to the mitzvah itself calling for you to be a creation, the very fact that a mitzvah is done in physicality prevents a person. It's not total bitl. It's the bitl, it's humility, it's humbling yourself before God. You're doing the mitzvah of the king. You're a servant. You're separated. When you're learning Torah, you're like God's child. So a, a child is an extension of the father. In learning Torah, you're a child. We say, Im kabanim, Im kavadim. So in Torah study, we're children. Because we're, we're still within the divine. In mitzvah's observance, we assume the creation. We enter into the creation. We engage our most physical part. Our Im kabanim, Im kavadim. Ah, however, let's finish up very quickly. Another, another 20 minutes. Now one opposite the other God made. This is when a Yid is learning what? When a Yid is learning Torah and doing mitzvahs all his life. So where is he? He's either unified with God above the world, or he's in the world and yet surrendering Tasha. But just like these things exist in Kedusha, these two forces, Torah and Mitzvah, which is considered Pnimiyastige unification with Hashem, and Morchitzoniyastige unification, which is to a Mitzvah's Morchitzoniyastige external, and this is internal. In unholiness, there's also an internal unholiness and an external unholiness. And both of these, the, the main problem over here, the main element which makes it unholy is that the person is lacking in bittel. There is, there is a self. The whole sitra, the klipa, the entire side of klipot is what? Hurak p'chenas yesh. Klipa is all about self-inflation. Say, just say for instance, the three things that takes a person out of this world. Jealousy, or greed, hakina, jealousy, greed, v'ataiva, 
lusts, ba'akavod, and seeking of honor. These are all three. They take a person out of this world. Now, does that mean that kavod is always bad? Honor is always bad? No. There is, a, there is the idea of honoring a tzaddik. Honoring. Says, oh. So when someone is a true tzaddik, which means when someone is totally nullified, then they can handle honor. And their honor doesn't become their honor. It becomes the honor of God because they have no self. So like the holy ruziner would wear gold garments and like, like act like a total king. And yet he was absolutely nothing to him. And quite on the contrary, the greatest display of the ultimate humility is someone who can have all the honor of the world and he doesn't flinch. Um, it says, The honor of the wise, they will inherit. Someone who is in, state, in a state of chachma. What's chachma? True wisdom. Koach ma, the power of ma. Chachma means the power of bitl. Eina kavid oisa oisa yesh. The kavid doesn't make him into a yesh. The kavid doesn't pump his ego. Elochein, it says, it's a mitzvah. Mipnei seva takum, for a elderly person. Over here it means for a sage. You're supposed to stand up. You're supposed to honor. Another case the high priest was giving glamorous clothing. Aaron for his brother for covet. So that was covet. It wasn't. Someone who's not the bottle. If you give him honor, then he can become all caught up in his own being, in his own self importance. Venasa yesh, he becomes a yesh, a somebody. Vagas ruach, and a thick spirit, and a dense spirit, becomes full of his own existence. V'zeh ikar avoydezara, and he becomes an idol in his own mind. Shamach yesh, he sees himself as somebody, as something. And even though he believes in God, but God is the God of gods. The because it says even the klipot, Acknowledge Hashem. But they refer to God as the God of gods, but they're also a God. Someone who has Gasasaruach, which Gasasaruach is, uh, means density of spirit, he's, he's like an idol. He's like, he's like he's serving idols. Yeah. There's a couple connections here that might be worth making. Yeah. Okay, so we'll get there. Okay, hold it. So just like, so that's Klippa. Klippa is, I am. Now just like in, 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 in holiness, two levels of bittel. One is bittel to Hashem as a creation, surrendering to its creator. And the other one is bittel where you are not even a creation anymore. You're just a limb of Hashem which is Torah and mitzvahs, which one is considered internal, Torah, and one is external. Shem is v'chitzayinius, internal and external canal. Kach gam le'umazeh, so too on the other side, yesh beiz devarim, there's also two types of klipa. Chitzayinius or pnimius. External klipa and pnimius diga. Chitzonius hainugasus. External klipa is when a person is priding himself with what? Bepchines levushim. In their clothing, 
That's when a person is dressing and and caught up in in covered in the seeking of 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 of, of honor from the outside from other people, which generally expresses itself in being completely consumed in the way they look and the and the clothing they wear and what they're wearing and so on. And he says it's not a sin because the Tanya is not talking the, the Alter Rebbe is not talking about sins over here. He's talking about subtleties that damage the soul very deeply in a way that it creates the person, makes him into a whole, is being caught up in his wardrobe, is basically pumping one's own importance. That the Rebbe Rashab says in a mimer, he says that someone who's caught up in his clothing and his appearance is not shyach, he's not shyach at all to experience godliness because it requires bittel. And if you're so caught up in your appearance, he calls him our is mamish like a stone, hard. Upnimius and Panimius internal taiva. I know taiva zoylova are more the taiva that has to do with food and the like, like uh, being a glutton and a drinker. Now, but he says we're not even dealing with sin. We're not dealing with non-kosher. Vahakalubenoga. Everything is with klipa noga, which noga we know is is kosher. Not like the three impure klipot, which are treif. Shechitzoni ra tov. Now, klipas noga could be used for good. So, for instance, food, you could elevate it. You could elevate it and bring it into good. Even if at the time that you were eating, you lost your mind a little bit, you lost yourself in the physical pleasure and lost and became separate from the idea that God is the only reality, and you like really got caught up in it, good. So at that time, you, a person doesn't realize, but they enter into a state of disconnect. But if they take that very food the next day, and then re, or when the food digests, and use, it back, use that energy to serve God, then they, not only do they go back into a place of holiness, but they bring this klipa energy also with them into holiness. Uh, that's what he's saying now. The internal klipa that you digested, a person is able to convert on his own from bad to good. Like a person who's a drinker of wines, and a glutton of meats. If the next day he davens with the power that he got from the food, so you've converted that ra, which was that yeshus and that separateness, into good. Because this energy has now fueled your mitzvah. So it's become included into good, into holiness. But what can you do? If you were honored and you felt very important and everybody said, wow, Mr. So-and-so, and you feel like whatever, what are you going to do? The next day you're using that energy for what? How is that in any way, that itself, how is that converted to Kedushan? It's not. There's no good that comes from it. It only makes a person more important in his own eyes that if someone slighted him, he gets even angrier and more upset because how dare this guy insult me and not invite me to his whatever, his party. Because his ego was inflated. Uh, therefore. So it comes out an interesting thing. The chitsoni is the klipa, the external klipa, 
which is more makif, we can't heal. The damage of that we can't heal. The internal klipa we could. So that's what the Pasuk says on Yom Kippur. Ki biyom alechem letar heschem. On this day, God is going to purify Alechem upon you. That's the Makif Klipot that a person draws upon himself through, through his wardrobe of Klipa. Meaning through the clothing, through garments of unholiness. That God has to clean. On Yom Kippur, God wipes it off. That has because we don't realize, here's the thing, he's speaking about bittel, bittel, bittel. But we create so many klipot that fight bittel. And that's by a person pursuing his ego, you, and you can't get out of it. Because sometimes, you, even if you're learning and you're inspired and you want to, there is this, this subconscious klipa. It's like, a, it's like, a, it's like a, a being stuck in something that doesn't allow until Yom Kippur comes. When Yom Kippur comes, Hashem goes, Hashem blows that away. And all these makifim, all these encompassing impure energies that have held a person from the outside, Hashem blows away. But then, the Pasuk says, to purify you. From your sins, that's the internalized klipa. That's more related to a person's, as we said before, whether it's lusts and stuff like that, that a person gets himself for klipet from the inside, that lifnei Hashem titaru that you need to clean yourself. And you could clean it yourself. By what? Through the, through the pain that comes Yom Kippur when you realize, when a person realizes, where, where am I stuck in? What am I? Where is my soul? Where is my neshama? Look how much I have abused my soul. Look how I've tortured my soul. And the person cries out, God, I can't bear the separation. Lifnei Hashem then that cry reaches higher than God's name. It reaches beyond the Yudke Vavke. It reaches to, the, to God's very essence. And, you, and where is the blemishes taking place? All these blemishes cause in the Yudke Vavke. Because that's the channel. So you reach Lifnei Hashem and from there you can repair the damages in all the layers of connection, of Torah and Mitzvot. But, that's, but the, the two things that the Pasuk is saying is, there's a certain element of Yom Kippur that Hashem is going to remove from you. And then there is the work that has to be done from within the person. And therefore, upon you, that which is makiv, Hashem is going to remove it. The spirit of impurity I'm going to remove. God is going to remove the dominion of the unholy. The klipa, Hashem removes it. From your own sins, that which a person has internalized, that lifnei Hashem titaru ba'atzmechem. You yourself purify it. How? V'hainu lifnei Hashem by reaching above God's name. How do you reach above God's name? That's when you cry out from your essence. V'hainu mimamakim krasicha. When a person cries from the deepest part of his soul, God, I want to be close to you. He's krasicha, I call you God. What does it say? I call you Havaya. I call krasicha Hashem. I call you God. I open up a new Yudke Vavke. I recreate an entire new relationship. A whole Chachma, a new Bina, 
a new emote. Nothing, there's no damage at all. Because I call you from your essence. I call you forth. Like a person calling his friend, I'm calling you, come. You're calling back God. You're calling back God. You call forth Havaya. Through the depth. From the depth of the heart. It's not even a crying of the, it's not an external cry. It's the heart is crying. That's your infinite dimension of your soul. That's higher than your intellect. It's like it's touching you so deep. It's not in a place that you that is limited. It's the infinite depth of the deepest point of your soul that is that is in pain and crying out. This evokes the Ein Sof. That's called the depth above. And when can you do that? You can only do it on Yom Kippur. On this day, what happens on Yom Kippur is that Malchut, the Shekhinah rises high, high, high to be face to face with God. As the Shekhinah rises to be face to face, all of her family, which are all her children, are also elevated to come face to face with Hashem. Malchus is the source. So every blemish that happened within the realms of Shekhinah, which means all disconnect that happens because we're creations, because we're living in this, in this illusionary kind of world, since Malchus comes back to face MS and truth, to face God once a year, so every individual can come and, and, and come back to that purity and that oneness again. Malchus rises to receive the supernal face of the Ein Sof. As Panecha Hashem Avakesh, I'm looking for your Panimius God. And that's why he says, interesting, on Yom Kippur we only have six people called up to the Torah. As opposed to Shabbos where there are seven aliyot. Why Yom Kippur only seven, six? Because reading Torah is drawing God down. And since there are the seventh sephira, which is Malchus rises up, higher, higher, there's only six sephirot. Because the seventh Malchus has, has gone up into Keser. So therefore there's no point of calling down the seventh. So we only have six alias. went up above. And since we are all constituents of Malchus or beings of Malchus, we are all elevated into this yichud of Panim B'Panim. The only thing we have to have is a desire and an open heart to want to go there. To want to be real and to be true. And to be real. And one with Hashem. And now he... uh, This is another Ha'ara, but we're going to leave it. Okay. Now... uh,